is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. What are you talking about? No, it's not him. There is only one more. There is only one more. There is, that's, that's it. One more. Get arrested. No. They saw your team. Put up zero effort. Wake up. Remember in the old days they used to have oxygen for them. Where's the oxygen? Play like absolute just garbage. <laughs> this is the Sports Loud Mouse. Yay! Man, can you keep it down? I'm trying to introduce here. With Errol Marks, Speedy Petey, and Tyler Harrison. Tyler Harrison. You're not even a has-been. You're a never was. You're a never was. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Sports Live Mouse. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can call us at 631-672-3108 is the number to call. You can also go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Speedy, how was your weekend? Did you do anything fun? Because mine was lame. No, I was mainly doing a lot of the work for you, trying to brand the show. For you, for brand the show, brand the network, brand our uh, Moneyline Mania on the weekend crunch. Mm. It is in effect. Uh, Shout out to Chaz and his crew. Very good segment this weekend as well, and great show. Yes, and by the way, they're about 80-some-odd percent Mm. right on all their picks. So if you're not listening to that part of the show or that segment on the weekend crunch, well, Obviously, you're not winning any money, so that's all I'm going to say about that. But anyways, uh, we got a great show lined up for you guys today. We have two very special guests. In just a few moments, we will be talking to actress, producer, and founder of the OGEtiquetteExpert.com, Zoe Yeoman. At 9.30, we'll also be talking to former NFL, CFL, XFL, fullback, and pass rusher Ryan Mueller. He'll be joining us as well. Uh, it's a great. It's going to be a great show. A lot of stuff lined up for you guys. We will get into, the obviously, the combine that's coming up this mm-hmm. weekend. Uh, there's a lot to talk about for the Jets and the Giants and a lot of other teams that can make their team a lot better. Uh, we'll get into the NBA, which uh, the New York Knicks are playing, yes, the 76ers tonight. They're actually winning, but that could be... Uh, Falling apart, uh, falling apart right in front of our eyes. So I wouldn't be surprised when you have Julius Randle shooting the ball. And um, and we'll get into a little bit of baseball with this whole lockout crap. I mean, honestly, it's crap. I, I don't know what's going on with the MLB. And I knew this was going to happen because Rob Manford's running the show and the guy's <laughs> a moron. So I'm not surprised right now that baseball hasn't come to a deal. But again, uh, I expect this to prolong as far as May, okay? Because I, I, I don't think baseball is going to have much of a season. I, I, I'm going to say about I don't know, 50, 60 games. That's where I see baseball. Wow, so, like that that long. That'll push it to July or something like that. I don't know about that. If well, it's it'd May, be 50, 60 games because May would probably be about 100. Uh, 50, 60 games. Right. 60 games was the lockout games. season. Or 90, 90 games? games. All right. 90 games. 90 games. Okay. All right. But this is what the MLB players want, okay? They don't want to play that many games. And they're making all this money. And with these contracts, a.k.a., yes, the New York Mets giving this pitcher all that money, you don't have the opportunity to see him pitch 30 games this year. You'll probably see him pitch 14 games, and he's making 40 some million dollars. So good luck to the Mets on that. So, uh Eat your heart out. Anyways, uh, we have a first guest uh, about to come in. We are now talking to actress, producer, and founder of the OGEtiquetteExpert.com, Zoe Yeoman. What's going on, Zoe? 
Hey, gentlemen, I'm doing very well. How are you tonight? Well, I mean, I, you just heard the opening act over here. I yes, mean, I you, you have the opportunity to look at this greasy hair band. I mean, over here, he's not wearing a hat. I don't understand it. Uh, but anyways, how are you? Tell us a little bit about um, what you're doing with the OGEtiquetteExpert.com. Well, you know, there's etiquette in everything, so uh, sports included. And I spent a lot of time chatting with people about things that are that are happening and things that could be going better and, you know, how not to stand up in the in when a pitcher's in the middle of trying to get something across <laughs> the plate because the people behind you miss the pitch. Um, yeah, so that's kind of my jam. Yeah, well, my jam is, uh, you know, once in a blue moon, blowing my nose and looking at this guy across the table to me. So obviously there's nothing new about that. But anyways, uh, as everybody knows, we are talking to actress, producer, and founder of OG Etiquette, uh, expert.com, Zoe Yeoman. So, Zoe, tell us a little bit about your career. You've been in the movie business. You're an actress. You're a producer. You're doing all these different things your whole career. What is it like uh, getting involved in, in a business that is just so – it could get so stressful? I mean, obviously, we, we've talked to so many different uh, actors, producers, and even movie stars. What is it like doing all that stuff? Well, you know, whenever there's a lot of money involved, there's a lot of pressure. So we can ask Derek Jeter about that. Mm. Lots of pressure. And so one of the most important things that we can do in my business is always try to keep our cool. And the people who keep their cool and who know what they're doing and, and uh, know how to treat people, they tend to do very well, especially if they're talented. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, and the people maybe who... who uh, like to flap around and peacock and, and behave badly. A lot of times they, they can crash and burn just because, you know, what goes up might come down, must come down, right? Well, Speedy's a peacock, but I, he's a good guy. But he's a peacock. So does that imply I'm a flightless bird or I'm colorful? <laughs> no, the main thing is to be is to be good to people, regardless of what business you're in. If the pressure gets to you, then maybe you should be doing something else, mm. raising Peacocks, for mm. example. Mm. No, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't be good at that. <laughs> so my first question comes amongst teams and games that have controversy. We see fans all the time heckling and booing uh, referees, especially when they have bad calls. One of the most extreme cases came with the Dallas Cowboys fans against the 49ers this postseason. So what is your, what is your thoughts with instances like that where a lot of these not only fans, coaches, and players as well towards referees if they do make a quote-unquote controversial call? Yeah. You know, these guys are all supposed to be old enough to know better. So that's the first thing. And then there's sportsmanship. That's not necessarily number two, but it's the second thing. And then you got to think about the message that you're sending to young people, um, the kids who are watching the games and, and uh, who are in the stands and, and whether that be a local high school team or a college team, you know, it just looks really bad on people. Mm. And uh, there's really no excuse for it. There's just no excuse for it. Violence is never a good thing. I don't care if you're in a in a stadium or a street corner. It's just not okay. So um, puts puts us all in a bad place, you know. Not to mention the fact that sometimes people really get hurt. And I wonder if after the fact they stop and think, you know, if I had just not lost my temper, would I have just gotten fined? Would people be calling me names? Would I be getting all kinds of, you know, hate on social media? You know, you just 
It's always about your reaction. That's the thing that separates us from the animals, right? We get to choose in any given moment our reaction. You know, you, you, you say this, and I agree with you totally, but there are a lot of people in this business that are rude, disgusting, a.k.a. Stephen A. Smith or even Mike Francesa over the years, disgusting to the fans. They, they, they throw people under the bus. They attack different teams. They attack owners. They attack coaches. And guess what they get? They get more money, and people get, get fired. Paid. Yes. So maybe you might be right being nice to people, but maybe once in a blue moon you have a crazy person like Stephen A. Smith or even Mike Francesa or who knows, anybody that you want to point out and put your fingers at and say, that guy's rude. Derek Cheater being one of them, by the way. I've interviewed him three times and he was very rude to me. So uh, no wonder why he decided to walk away from the ownership CEO position of the Marlins. I'm not surprised. That's my opinion. You get what you play for. And, and, and I understand. Look, I love sports. I'm a sports girl. I, since I was a little kid on the couch with my dad watching mm. football and watching sports, I, I totally hear you. But just think back. I mean, McEnroe and his bad behavior. Mm-hmm. We don't have to go back that far, but <laughs> I mean, he's kind of, he started this thing, right? We all know Johnny. Back. We know Johnny Mac. And they just, it just keeps going. And I wonder, you know, sometimes and now with social media, forget about it. It's oh, everywhere. Social forget media it. has ruined everything. Let me tell you. Isn't it though? Uh, but people love it. You know why? Because that's the way the people are making money now. I mean, obviously, if you have a, a million followers on TikTok, well, guess what? What are they going to do? They're going to market through that. And you're going to make bu- a bundle of money if you have a bundle of money. Yeah. I saw a girl the other day with a puppy. And she's in college, and she said, this dog just paid my rent this month, <laughs> right, from all the, the money yeah. on social media and everything. So I hope I answered your question. Absolutely. You know, the, like the Eagles fans have a really bad yes. rap, right? I mean, it's it's just so regional, and I think they do it on purpose. Well, well hold on one second. They have a bad rap because after they won the Super Bowl, you see them eating you know, eating, uh, what is it? Uh, dog dog poop. And... Dog poop, a horse poop on the side of the road, and climbing poles and throwing up on people up in the air. I mean, I mean. Like, like, oh. Are they happy they won? Or they... It's Philadelphia. We'll never know. <laughs> the, the Phillies parade had something similar. I think they lit some girl's hair on fire or something like that. <laughs> oh, <my God>. yeah. <laughs> oh, Philly, man. Anyway. Oh, well, we, we're from New York, so if if the Jets ever win a Super Bowl, I could only imagine what the Jet fans are going to be doing 51 years later. Okay, you know, after 51 years, they deserve to be a little naughty. It's all right. Well, I'm one of those naughty people, so who knows? If the Jets win the Super Bowl, I guess I'm running on the Brooklyn Bridge uh, naked or something with a sign saying, <laughs> "We won finally after 50 some odd years." <laughs> Thank you. Speedy will be like, there's Errol. We'll be watching him on the Bronco. Are you kidding me? I'm going to have Speedy running on the other side. Oh, God. I'll run away. (laughs) (laughs) I'll get out of there. Plus, plus I'm a Giants fan. I don't need to witness a Jets parade. Not that I have any grudge with the Jets, but. Understood. Uh, As everybody knows, we are talking to actress, producer, and founder of the OG Etiquette Expert.com, Zoe Yeoman. So, Zoe, obviously in the movie business, tell us a little bit about working. It's a cutthroat business. Everybody's trying to get into it. And, and you, we see all these movie stars. Brad Pitt, we all know the story of Brad Pitt. His picture was on a wall. Somebody picked it out. He was in Thelma and Louise. And then all of a sudden, he became a superstar because of his looks. Tom Cruise, uh, he was in The Outsiders. You know, all the different things that he did as a young 
a young uh, movie star in the early 80s and then became a superstar from Days of Thunder and all that other stuff. What is it like working with these movie stars? Are they as bad as what people think they are behind the scenes? Tom Cruise is a super nice man, believe it or not. Um, he's just under a lot of pressure. Mm. Like these producers, you know, the the Kevin Costner's, the um, what's his name, Braveheart. Oh yes, uh, uh, yeah, Mel, Mel Gibson. Gibson. Yes, Mel Gibson. These guys are under a tremendous amount of pressure. Like you, you're responsible for millions of dollars for three hundred person crews for locations, and now with COVID, I mean. They're under a tremendous amount of pressure. So to answer your question, a lot of times they are super decent people. Mm. And then other times, not so much, mm. right? And that gets talked about and it gets shared. And, and everybody knows who those people might be that, you know, could be a little difficult to work with. Um, I enjoy the business a lot. Uh, it's, I've been doing it off and on since I was a kid. Uh, it's it's something I do really, really well. So it's kind of hard to walk away from it forever, mm. even though I've tried. Um, I've done other things. I've always been really successful at whatever I've tried to do. But golly, there's just nothing like uh, being on a stage. Mm. And, uh, I, you know, I, I grew up in the theater. That's where I got trained. Right. Mm. And so, you know, now with television and film and I kind of do I kind of do everything. I actually just started my own theater company just so. You know, when I'm not on film, when I'm when I'm not on on set somewhere, I can still I still have that creative outlet. It's pressure driven. It can be a real pain in the tuchus, mm. you know, and and we just all do the best we can because we love the creative aspect of it. Mm. So you actually were born in Germany uh, way back. Nope, wrong. wrong. Oh, well, no. No, I went to high school in Germany. Okay, ah. okay, that's fine. All right, so whatever article. Curveball's now speedy. No, well, the, the, thank you, whoever article was that misled me. Mm. But all right, so so what were some of those experiences like culturally, and also from an adjustment standpoint, because you study etiquette a lot of the times. Like, how are they over in comparison to now your experiences in the U.S. and even some of the other countries that you've been to? Well, you know, you always have rules, right? So like we also lived on Okinawa for four years, which is an island that's just south of Japan, part of of Japan. And, you know, when you go into your home, when you go into a Japanese home, you always take your shoes off. So there are things like this that we learned in various places that we lived. Um, I loved being in Germany. We had a great time. Uh, It's where I learned how to drink beer. Mm. Um, Very nice. yeah, and you know, bratwurst and schnitzel and all that good stuff. Some Guinness and, and <laughs> doing the shushing, you know. And so it was a great four years. You know, my dad was um, military; he was an Air Force enlisted man, and we did not stay on the base. We were having dinner in France and Austria, skiing for two weeks. We kind of lived the life of a really, really wealthy. Family. We just had it made. It was great. I will always remember the years we were overseas. Mm. Um, really good for the cultural, the, the different cultural aspects of it, the food. They get to travel so much more than we do, mainly because their countries are kind of so close together and, you know, and ours are so super spread out. Um, but I tell you, it's such great training for young people. Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to travel like that. Do they wear underwear on their head over there? I mean, I heard, <laughs> I heard they do that. <laughs> are, we about, are we talking about football clubs now? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they do in England. <laughs> 
Well, I've been to Germany. I was a DJ. I actually traveled around the country and around the world uh, in my 20s. So I had the opportunity to go to New Zealand. I've been to Germany. I've been to... Uh, well, where else? I've been all over Poland, uh, Ukraine. I was in Ukraine for a little while. Um, by the way, shout out to the Ukraine army fighting off the Russians. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's horrible what's going on in the world. But uh, unfortunately, well, fortunate that we're here and nothing is happening here. But it's unfortunate for some of the innocent people that are dying over there. You probably read about Roman Abramovich today, right? Yes. Who's selling the Chelsea FC and yes. then donating all of that money. That's great. Like, it's a fantastic story. And, and, and hopefully uh, when, when this is all over and hopefully it ends that Ukraine doesn't be conquered by Russia because it, it's horrible. You got the president over there fighting for Ukraine. You have uh, all these boxers fighting for their country. It, it's horrible what's, what, what's going on. And it's all about really it's greed. And that's what it is. That's the, that's the whole thing of this war. It's, it's one country trying to take over a country that they thought they owned and they want all the, the power sources in the country. I think the mayor of Kiev too is an Xboxer as well. Yeah, it's just it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. We I think they have right on their side. Mm. I think we're gonna win it. I think they're gonna win it. I, I hope think so. Gonna, I think they're gonna take them. There's gonna be loss of life and, and there's gonna be a lot of rebuilding fit figuratively and literally. Mm. But I think that the Ukrainians are gonna take them because they're just like, no, we're this this is not happening. You are not going to do this. We could us. only hope to see that happen. And hopefully <laughs> we don't get involved. I see what we're doing right now. And I, I'm not a political person. This is a sports radio show. But uh-huh. I, I'm happy that we're staying away from this right now unless we get pulled in. Because once we get pulled in, it could start a whole ruckus of craziness that's going on. It definitely be bad. Yes. But I think a no-fly zone, I think in order to give them a fair and fighting chance – NATO needs to do a no-fly zone to try to help them. Absolutely. I think that's how how they'll come out of this. Absolutely. We are talking to actress, producer, and founder of the OG Etiquette Expert.com, Zoe Yeoman. Now, Zoe, I I read a little bit about you. I saw your Instagram, and you're a a talent evaluator. That's You look for talent, right? That's what you do. do. You look for great talent, and I mean, you're on our show. So, you know, you look at, you know, you look at me, and you look at Speedy. And and Speedy has a talent, okay? He he verifies everything and statistics to a T, okay? Wow. To a T. All right. Okay? So, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you some uh, information about Speedy, and I want you to ask him. You, you're a sports fan. You ask him a question, okay? A, a sports question, statistics, or anything that you want, and I guarantee you, he will nail it on a button. Are you ready? I think I am. Okay, so here's what we're gonna do. All right, Speedy, are you ready? Okay. All right. Let's see what we got. Here. All right. So this is what we're going to do. We have Zoe. She's going to ask you a question. Any question. doesn't matter when it's from, what athlete, anything. You're going to ask him, and I guarantee you, one way or another, he'll nail it. Are you ready? Zoe, I am. take over the mic. Speedy, how many times was George Foreman married? Oh, now we're going to relationships. <laughs> oh, boy. Now that actually, I'll have to take a wild guess on that one. Celebrity relationships, not my area of expertise. All I'll, right. I'll, me, guess, uh, I'll guess four. I'll just guess four. You're four. Okay. Um, let's see. Oh, I have to know the answer. <laughs> oh, I thought, I thought that was implied, but okay. <laughs> well, there, there's, a, there's the talent right there. We got the evaluator and we got the talent. <laughs> 
<laughs> who was the who is the winning wing winningest horse? Mm. Um, who's the winning? What's the name of the win the, the the horse with the most wins out of like the the trifecta? Oh wow! All right, those those races. I'm gonna the I'm gonna get. I, I I think I have this one. I'll guess Seabiscuit. No. No. no, no, Secretariat. Secretariat. I think Secretariat. I think it was Secretariat. I think it was. I, I love the movie, by the way. If you never checked out the movie, movie. it's a great movie, great acting movie. Uh, was uh, definitely great. Well, well, let me ask you a question. You produce movies, and and you've done you. I guess have you directed movies too? I do direct. Yes. Okay, so. What was the more most famous movie, and what's what is the most famous movie and uh, that you directed and produced? Me? Yes. Short film. What, the what many. Is, the many. The many. I got to check that out. Okay. I got to check that out. How long is it? It's a short movie. It's like it's like twenty minutes. We did it on like zero budget, mm. three day, three days, mm. um, and it was a story based. On you know this guy, this guy who's on um, Netflix who like has conned all these women out oh. of all this money. Oh yes, right? I, I I know exactly what you're talking about. It, he it's it's about a romantic con. So this girlfriend of mine, who, new friend of mine, told me about this what had happened to her, mm-hmm. and it was it was exactly like this. Mm-hmm. And I got so upset about it, Errol. I said, "What can I do to help you?" And she's like, "I." I want to tell my story. I want to make a movie. I, I think pe- women should know about this. I said, okay, let's do it. Three days and we shot it and we, we got it out there and she uses it on her website. Hmm. Well, I, I, for like $75,000. Oh, wow. Oh, all right. I, I, listen, I've actually acted in a bunch of small films. My friend actually produced and directed. Um, uh, actually the funny, one of the funniest ones I've ever done was I, I think I was, I think it was 29 when I did this. Uh, it was a it was about a guy that kept buying fast food. Okay, he, every day he would go and buy fast food. Go to Wendy's. Go to Burger King. Go to McDonald's. I wasn't that guy. Okay, I was the cook. I was the guy that was cooking the hamburgers and doing the crazy things to the hamburgers when I was giving it to him. Okay? okay, so so what we did was it over here in Long Island. There's um. There's a Wendy's in Patchogue, which we know the owner. We, we, well, we know the, I guess you could say the, not the owner, the manager of the Wendy's. So we kind of changed the, we changed the name. So it was Wendy's Burger King McDonald's. So we had to, we had to do things on, so, so we can kind of like hide what it was Wendy's McDonald's and all that other stuff. And we had this guy go in every single day and buy a sandwich. And it, it, it really was, what was that? What was that movie that they did? That guy Super Size Me. Super Size Me. The big one. I think there was another one too, though. There were like two of different for the same concept. But Super Size Me was the big one. Yes, and the 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 small film was called I Ate a Hamburger. That's what it was called. I ate a hamburger, and it's this kid that we had. He was the leading role of this. He yeah. must have, he must have gained like twenty five pounds. In that he did twenty five pounds. So. I, I've done some acting. I mean, we've done. You enjoy some, it? I actually like acting. Yes, I. It's fun, yeah? Yeah. I, I do because you want to know something. The hardest part of acting, really, is is understanding the role that you're playing and and falling into that role. 
Okay, you got to be a part. It's not about reading and 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 because I think I can memorize anything. It, it's really like falling into the role and playing that role and being that person. It's very that's the hardest part of everything. I think people forget. I, I'm amazed with all these actors and actresses. They have these deep accents, accents, uh, you know, from Ireland and England. And, and and they somehow changed their accent to American. It, it's unbelievable. I, I think it's absolutely amazing. It's a skill set. Mm-hmm. You work with a dialogue coach, and, and then they help you get where you need to be. You can do it. Mm. This is actually a good question from one of our fans. Uh, Steve asks, what actor has the best overall body of work and state three movies of why? Mm, that's a good question. Good job, Steve. I love Kate Blanchett, um, like Elizabeth, The Hours. Mm-hmm. Was she in that? No, uh, uh, Nicole Kidman was in The Hours, right? It was I Kidman and more. I don't know. If she was okay. Elizabeth, The Aviator, and one a brand new one that's been out. What the the something in the Valley with uh, Bradley Cooper that oh, just yes. came out. I know exactly um, what you're talking about. I forget the movie what it's called. I see all of her movies. She's tremendous. She's a wonderful actor. She yeah, really the hours was Nicole Kidman and Julianne Moore and Meryl right. Streep. Okay. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm so, pretty good. I know my stuff. I know my you stuff. You clearly do. You uh, clearly do. Uh, we are talking to actress, producer, and founder of the OG Etiquette Expert dot com, Zoe Yeoman. Now, Zoe, uh, wow. like I said, you you you're smart. You know this business in the back of your head. Tell uh, tell the fans what is it. What does it take to be an actor? What does it take to be a producer? What it takes to be a director? And how, how could you, you get your foot in the door as a movie star or um, a personality in the movie business? Well, you know, you, you need to really want to be in the business. Like, I think a lot of people want to be famous, but it can't really be about that. I'm an actor. I've always been an actor. I'll always be an actor. I may not ever be a household name. It doesn't matter to me anymore. Mm. There was a time when it did. Mm. Um, But I've since learned that it's something that I just really, really love to do. So you can start out being a production assistant. If you're related to somebody, they might be able to get you on a set. It takes a lot of hard work. It takes time. It takes training, Mm. you know, Um, but the, uh, the cat who started legendary entertainment, legendary pictures, Tom, he was just on a pot on a, on a very famous dude's podcast recently. Can I say his name? Or God, not? Yeah, absolutely. On Rogan's Rogan's podcast. Joe Rogan's. Uh, yep. He's the guy who, who started legendary pictures, mm. legendary entertainment. You know why? Cause he loved movies. Mm. He didn't know anything about the movie business. And he now is seriously successful. Did the dark night like, mm has really done a lot of great stuff. So you just got to love it. And know it's hard work. Sometimes it's 14 hour days, day after day after day. Mm. Uh, Steve also puts in his vote, uh, Robert De Niro. He says, Goodfellas, Godfather 2 and the Deer Hunter. <laughs> um, he, he also has a question. Do you do improv? I love improv. It's not something that I spend a lot of time on. I think I'm kind of naturally silly, goofy, witty. So, um, but yeah, I do. I definitely spend time hanging out with people and 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 improving, but it's it's you know, I like other people's words. It's like give me your words and let me do what I do. 
Mm. Well, goofy and crazy would be me. So <laughs> that would be that would be perfect for me if you want to hear an improv from me. But uh, yes, just always say yes. Yes, yes, and more yes. What do you think, Speedy? You think I could be a good improv person? Absolutely. I think Same I could. Yes. 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 <laughs> What do I get? I get a Screen Actors Award or something? I mean, I should get something. I mean, what? seriously. Shouldn't we all? Yes, Shouldn't we should. We all? If some one way or another, one of these days, after we slowly move into the movie business, you know, thanks to our newfound friend Zoe Yeoman, uh, I mean, then you know, eventually, I win an Oscar, and you know, when I walk up to that that wonderful you know mic, and I say thank you to everybody, Zoe, you would be the first person. Remember when you came on my show and you said. <laughs> could do it 14 hours a day i did it i finally did it what do you think zoe you think that would sell i i think you're so generous errol i love it i I, love meeting both of you you guys are awesome well thank Um, you yeah and that's the thing is right take care of other people and they'll take care of you we hope i mean unless i have a grandfather that's robert de niro or something like that if that ever happens maybe i you know i get my foot in the door and i'll or maybe i could just say i'm brad pitt's uh long lost son How's that sound? Have you noticed how Brad Pitt and what's his name? Del Toro, Benicio Del Toro. Yes. Have you noticed how similar they look to one another? They do. They do. Especially when you look at the side of their face. And now they're with the gray hair on their head. Are you just, they're like twin brothers from a different something. I think it's cool. Maybe they're the long lost brothers too, you know? And maybe, maybe, maybe one of them are my father, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. (laughs) Lose you really want to be in the business, don't I, you? Well, listen, anything that'll get me in the door, you know, if I say that, they'll probably think I'm crazy. I'm, full, I'm Well, let's flee. make a movie. Let's do it. We'll stay in touch and let's make a small film. I'll be the lead role. Speedy will be my dog, okay? <laughs> I think we should do a TV show about a sports network. Mm, that's not a bad idea. That's never been done before. Mm. Uh, you have to direct it, obviously. You well, know. let's see. WKRP, mm-hmm. News Radio, The Morning Show. That's right. Right? Look There's at you. I, 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 listen, you write the script up. I'll I'll be the lead. We'll bring in some, you know, we'll bring in some kind of star or somebody known uh, to help us out. And, and we'll make it a, a huge hit. Maybe it'll be, a, what do they call it? The, 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 what do they call that? The festival? What do they call that? The movie festival? Yeah. The movie yeah. festival. Yeah, maybe yeah. we'll get into the circuit and eventually get into the movie theaters. And then, Fantastic. And then we I become mean, Oscar things that happen, just ask Kevin Smith. That's true. That's absolutely true. Well, then you know what? I'll have Speedy reach out to you. We definitely got to, we definitely got to get you back on, by the way. Well, you, thank you so much. Well, it was a really fun half hour absolutely absolutely uh as everybody knows we are talking to actress producer and founder of the og etiquette expert.com zoe yeoman how could they find you on social media zoe so zoe yeoman zy zoe yeoman zy so that's instagram facebook um the og etiquette expert there's a little thing there i do have a website Hmm. as well for my work um you know the Things, things that I allow to go on oh. online. <laughs> <laughs> See, Zoe's so trying never to mind your manners, Errol. She's trying to slide it right under the rug. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, man. Well, I'm happy that you joined us. We're definitely going to be in touch. Uh, Speedy, uh, we have your we have her email address, right? Uh, I sent it to your agent, uh, Barry, who's done a phenomenal job getting us Absolutely. guests on the show. My publicist, yes, Barry. Yes. So what, what, what we'll do is we'll have Speedy reach out to Barry and get your email address, and we'll stay in touch. You're good, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Zoe. Uh, we All really right. appreciate you joining us. Nice Zoe Yeoman, ladies and gentlemen. What a wonderful woman. She's really funny. She she fits perfectly with us, Speedy. Mm-hmm. Could, could you imagine her be the director of our movie? Could you imagine? You'd be... I don't know what you'd be. I, I, I you know, it, if it, maybe you'll be the pet dog in the, uh, the pet dog. I don't know. You, I don't know what you would. I'll, be. I'll voice a dog. Okay. Why don't you have Remember a, that TV I'll show? just get a dog. <laughs> well, I, I don't want to tell Zoe what your dog did to you. You know, I don't want to tell her either. <laughs> She's awesome. I, I, we definitely got to get her back on. That was hilarious, and she's really, really good. Uh, and and she 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 told us some great stuff. And if you want to be a movie star, uh, just reach out to Zoe. I mean, she'll help you. She'll throw it under the rug, if you know what I mean. What do you think about that, Speedy? Well, if you're going to be the one to throw under the rug, you might need a stunt guy for that. Well, I, I could be ah, the stunt John guy. John Schneider, perfect. John Schneider's perfect. What a wonderful stunt guy. And with the, by the way, he eats squirrel, okay? John Schneider eats squirrel, ladies and gentlemen. I have to taste squirrel. You know, I've tasted rabbit. I've tasted alligator. I've never had squirrel. So maybe I, maybe tomorrow we'll try to catch a squirrel out of like a, you know, a rat trap or something. What do you think? <laughs> Okay. Uh, do you want to cook them or should I cook them? Hey, we're not an expert you want to hunting boil or a, cooking. <laughs> would, would you have you ever thought about boiling a squirrel instead of cooking one? I've never hunted a squirrel to try to do that. <laughs> so no, but I know it's obviously possible. Well, I well, listen. I like I said, I've had alligator, and I used to think that was disgusting. And when I when I finally chewed on one, it, it, it tasted good. It was a little, you know, a little, you know, what what would I would say? It was hot. You know, it was uh, had, had a, little, a zing, had a little zing to it, but. Uh, very, very nice. Uh, Zoe uh, Yeoman, uh, sweet, sweet lady, and great, great personality. So very happy to have her. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will be talking to former NFL, CFL, XFL, fullback and pass rusher Ryan Mueller here on the Sports Loudmouth. You're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are the Sports Loudmouths. I'm your host, Alan Marks, my co-host, Speedy. I'm not wearing any underwear tonight, Speedy. Are you wearing underwear tonight? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Is it, hold on, is it tidy whities or boxer shorts? Uh, boxers. All right, okay. So they don't stick to you when you sweat, right? No. Okay, that's good. As you know, you can call us at 631-672-3108. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Zoe Yeoman, ladies and, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't know Zoe, well, I don't know what the hell you were listening to, but she was awesome. Personality, perfect. Great A meet, right, Speedy? Sure. We were just talking about squirrels. Yes. Okay. Anyways, uh, we have our second guest, and we are now talking to former NFL, CFL, XFL fullback and pass rusher, Ryan Mueller. What's going on, Ryan? What's up, fellas? How are you guys? We are good, man. And, you know, it's so funny. I asked Speedy before we we were going to do the show tonight. I said, who do we have as guests tonight? And he says, Ryan Mueller. I said, who the hell is Ryan Mueller? And he says, (laughs) 
<laughs> and he says he played in the NFL, and he was telling me a little, and I was reading a little bit about you. It's a, it's an amazing story about you, man. I mean, you've been all over the place. You played multiple positions. Mm-hmm. I mean, what is it like actually stepping foot on an NFL field and and actually saying that you made it for the first time in your complete career? Yeah, it's certainly an awesome experience. Walking into the locker room and seeing your last name on the back of a jersey is just that's when you just feel like, oh my gosh, this is this is the moment I've been waiting for. This is the pinnacle of, you know, your career and what every football player strives strives for. So certainly seeing that and having a brief opportunity was, you know, awesome. So you, I want to go back even further to your uh, your college career. So you were actually were part of the last Big 12 championship team at Kansas State back in 2012. The last, uh, yep. last time that happened, then Oklahoma had all those streaks of winning the Big 12, then Baylor did this year. Uh, so what was that season like, and what were some of your favorite experiences at K-State? That was the year of Colin Klein getting to the Heisman Trophy, uh, losing to you know Johnny Manziel. It was kind of during that time. And was part of a really good team with a bunch of guys that you probably never heard of. We made it all the way to being ranked number one in the country. And we had a slip up against Baylor, uh, who was at the time a doormat football team. They weren't who they are now, the type of program they are now with all the winning tradition they've had as, as of late. And we just let let our foot off the gas and blew the game. We were ranked number one in the country, and that was the night we felt like we just totally lost, you know, national championship mm-hmm. hopes. Because if we had won out, which we ended up winning the rest of our games, uh, we would have been slotted for the national championship against Manti Teo and and Notre Dame, and and we felt like we really had a strong team to play against Notre Dame. Mm. You're talking about the man Tanteo that had uh, a secret girlfriend over there in Hawaii. The mysterious or... fake girlfriend that still hasn't uh, been oh, found. Yeah, that, that guy. Yeah, I remember him very, very well. <laughs> Something like that. I, I never I never fully got the details of that because I was in San Diego the following year um, after he had been in the league for a few years and, is, and was well established. But it was – pretty much team policy that uh we're not allowed we're not allowed to discuss those outside issues i'm sure we we definitely gotta get again we definitely have to reach out to matt that tail and get him on the show <laughs> <laughs> that would be a must listen to that's for sure yeah <laughs> we hey, are look, talking- it's Matt tail's girlfriend right there <laughs> well if, if, maybe if i put on maybe if i put on a wig or you know some lipstick i could say i was her <laughs> maybe no, that'd be too real <laughs> We are talking, but I think now he's in a uh, an established relationship. I think, according to social media, I don't know that. Well, 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 maybe she's real, or maybe she's not. (laughs) She's in the pictures this time, so. Oh, oh, there you go. Maybe it's a fake picture. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of photoshopping going on nowadays. That's true. Anything's possible. We are talking to former NFL, CFL, XFL fullback and pass rusher Ryan Mueller. Now it says over here your birthday is April 30th. Am I? Am I right? 
That's right. Well, guess what? My birthday's April 29th, so we're fellow Tauruses, my friends. Wow, that's right. Bulls. That's right. We're bulls. I'm a little bit older than you now. I mean, you're 30. I'm going to be 40 this year. So, wow. I mean, uh, it, it's riding. You know, it doesn't look it. I, you know, I take good care of myself. You know, I got, I still got pecs, not boobs. So, I'm, I'm good there. Uh, and you're from New Jersey. So, t- tell us a little bit about growing up. Were you a Giant fan? Were you a Jet fan? Were you a Philadelphia Eagles fan? What type of That's- fan were you? Were you? So we got to get some clarity on that. I was born in Morristown, New Jersey, mm-hmm. uh, at Memorial Hospital. I lived there for about six months, mm. and then pretty pretty much raised raised in Kansas City. That's where I grew up. Mm. That's home. That's where I went to high school and and college at. And then uh, when I signed on with the XFL, I played for the New York Guardians. Mm. And my first game, I made us, I got a sack in the game and the announcer was like, hometown hero, Morristown, New Jersey, Ryan Mueller. And it was like, you know, hard to, hard to, you know, claim, but you know, Hey, any good publicity from the East coast, you know, I'll take it. So you're a Kansas city chief fan. Am I right? Um, Honestly, I, I just enjoy playing football, the training, the working out, all mm-hmm. the stuff that goes into being a professional football player. Mm-hmm. I'm in love with that process. I got you. As far as like being into fantasy football, watching NFL games, my Sundays just don't really revolve around that. I got you. Um, I got you. I don't, so I don't know where that all stems from. Maybe a mix of bitterness of, <laughs> by not getting, you know more of an opportunity in the NFL that I was very fortunate enough to get, Mm. but I've never been a huge, huge sports fan, but I love playing. I got you. So you, uh, as a, I'm a Giants fan. There's a lot of Giants fans listening. Uh, you actually got to play in the CFL with uh, with Nikita Whitlock, who used to be a fullback over yes. there. Also played some defensive line, kind of like you, rotating around. You're you're an outside rusher, defensive end. He was yeah. a defensive tackle as a Giant. So what was he like as a teammate? Yep. Uh, I love Nikita. Uh, good dude, hard worker, a total scratcher. Um, does some incredible things in the weight room. His build, his build is like nothing I've ever seen before on the football field for how short and compact and powerful and fast he is to play. You know, the nose guard position is just like it's incredible, honestly, to watch and then to also run down on special teams and then pl- be a mixture of the fullback role. Um, pretty, pretty amazing talent. Um, but in the NFL, you know, there's just so few spots and they can find uh, a nose guard and a three tech guy who's six five, three hundred and fifty pounds. And that's all he does. You know, that's what he has to compete with. Tell us a little bit about your career. What you you went into the NFL, you had your your stake there for a little bit, and then you, you you moved into the CFL, the and then obviously the XFL. What was it like jumping from one league to another league to another league and the competition? I know the CFL has a lot of competition. A lot of people just throw it on the rug. They don't realize the, the Canadian Football League is is it's not good, but it's actually there's so many talented players that actually after they play in the CFL, they have played in the NFL and have been successful. What is it like jumping from one league to the other? You nailed it. I I, I definitely thought that originally was, oh, the CFL talent isn't, you know, what it 
what it really is. And to earn a starting job in the CFL is extremely difficult. Um, their system and their plays may not fit your style of play. And just because you're a good player in the NFL does not mean you'll be a good player in, in the CFL. You might get an opportunity if you were a first round draft pick 10 years ago, but if you try to go in that league and walk in that league thinking you're the thinking you're the best, you'll get beat and beat out and, and lose a job. Uh, as far as the XFL, comparing the XFL to the NFL, I felt like the talent pool in the XFL was definitely better than the CFL and wow. way more way more of a competitive environment than the CFL because it's all American players. And I felt like the XFL game was a lot closer to what the NFL is. I think XFL to NFL is a much better stepping stone and and that our game is almost the exact same as a few minor things. Um, but that was my overall thought on both leagues, NFL and and, or CFL and XFL. Let me ask you one more question. You, you mentioned the XFL. Are you happy that The Rock has really stepped in in trying to rebuild the XFL, something that Vince McMahon put so much money into and he practically threw it away again? I think he invested another $100 million into the organization, and then he sold it to The Rock for $20 million. Okay, Just think about that. $100 million to $20 million. Lost $80 million on that deal. One year, it actually looked really good. I love the rules. The new rules mm -hmm. of the new XFL was fantastic. It was fun to watch. And then all of a sudden, you know, who cares? Uh, Andrew Luck's father was running the organization, throws it to mm -hmm. the, you know, throws it to the Wolves. And now all of a sudden the Rock steps in and says he wants to buy it. Where you, uh, when you heard that, where we've asked a lot of football players that play in the XFL, where are, are you excited for the XFL knowing that there's a guy who's an ex-NFL player? Well, not ex-college ex player that actually loves the game and actually wants to help the sport move forward with it. Can you can you even imagine? I mean, that's the best person that could possibly represent this league. Um, he's somebody who's going to drum up a lot of interest uh, in the league. Um, he's has enormous connections. I mean, he's the perfect person to run this league, have passion for this league. And what player wouldn't want to be associated with any product that the rock is going to put out on the field. Everything he does turns to gold. So um, he's got a great personality, um, somebody you definitely want to work with and work for. And, uh, you know, I, I really hope I get that opportunity. So I want to go back to the CFL. Uh, it's of note, you played with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. We actually interviewed mm -hmm. one of your uh, former teammates, uh, uh, Jalen, Jalen Addison, wide receiver um, when, in 2017. I uh, just wanted to note that. But my question is the cultural shift as well with Canada, going to Canada, growing up in the U.S., now moving to Canada. Hamilton is in the central part in Manitoba for the fans, just so you know. So what was the cultural <laughs> shift of that like in comparison to the United States? You know, Hamilton, Canada is a whole lot different than <laughs> Kansas. Uh, different types of people. Very nice. Um a little tougher town than where I'm from, for sure. But um, a lot of passionate football fans and great great atmosphere. I had a great time in Canada. Um, couldn't really speak too much on the culture because I was just all about football while I was there and trying to earn a job. So uh, as far as 
talking about personalities between CFL guys and NFL guys, that I could immediately tell the difference. American football players, I mean, we are born bred to be football players. It's our passion. And yes, we're really close with our teammates, but at the same time, like that's who we're competing for, for jobs. So there can be a frenemy, um, you know, type of atmosphere in the locker room at some point. Um, but the Canada guys are like always in good spirits and, oh man, you know, I, I, I hope the best guy wins. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like totally different <laughs> dynamic of relationship and friends where American football players, we are egomaniacs and, uh, you know, passionate about earning this job and doing whatever it takes to get that job. You kidding me? You come into New York and you say, "Me, the best man win. Somebody, yeah, exactly. Pull out a pipe and beat you on the head with it to try to win that, exactly. that, that job. Exactly. <laughs> Got to have a lot more, lot more grit for sure. Absolutely. And... Absolutely. Especially here uh, when mm-hmm. everybody's trying to win that job. Everybody's trying to take your job away from you. It doesn't matter how good of friends you are. You're not friends when you step on that field. Yeah, we, we are talking to former NFL, CFL, XFL fullback and pass rusher Ryan Mueller. Now, Ryan, we we talk about the fullback position and how it's transitioned into so many different positions. A lot of players, and it's a dying position, really is in the NFL. There, uh, how many great fullbacks are in the NFL? Two, three, and and how many teams actually use the fullback position as a position now in the NFL? So when you look at the position that you play, and obviously you're a pass rusher too. When, especially moving from one divi- one 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 uh, NFL to the XFL and the CFL, did you ever see yourself as a, a total fullback, or did you always see yourself maneuvering into another position? I certainly see myself as a pass rusher. I, I feel like that's my bread and butter. That's what I'm good at. But in the NFL, you know, the more you can do, uh, the better, because it's such a numbers game, limited roster space, so on and so forth. But look at the teams that have been in the Super Bowl the last couple of years, Kansas City Chiefs, New England Patriots. They both had staple fullbacks, mm-hmm. Anthony Sherman and Devlin for the Patriots. I mean, those are some hard-nosed, tough, smart football players. And both of those organizations have had a lot of success over the last couple of years. So um, it's a position that certainly should be looked at more, in my, in my opinion. So a lot has been made of hybrid players. You being a hybrid player, you play three different positions. You play defensive end and outside linebacker as well. And I think there seems like they're becoming a lot more of a norm on both sides of the ball. You see players like Isaiah Simmons get drafted into the NFL who could play all over the place. Kansas City. Yep. (laughs) Kansas City guy. Me and him train at the same gym here in Kansas City. Uh Really? When he's back in town. Um, His his brother, uh, his older brother and I are the same age. And his older brother is an incredible athlete as well. So you're seeing a lot of those being drafted, being drafted as draft prospects now, and also being utilized as being some of the best players in the league. Look at somebody like Debo Samuel as well, having the mm-hmm. season he did. So do you think there'll become a point in the NFL or even any of the other leagues too that you've played in where you think can see hybrid players becoming the norm rather than just being a, like a gadget type player? Yeah, I certainly hope so. That my position's coming back into style because, you know, I got a ticking time clock on my football career. So if I could sneak back in, that would be amazing. And uh, yeah, because I think the game's getting faster and faster and you got to find guys who 
can run and play multiple positions because of injuries happening, so on and so forth. So obviously, yeah, the more you can do, the better for sure. We talk about all these teams and all the league, the transition of rules that the NFL is adding year in, year out. And I think it's ruining the game. But obviously with the whole concussion situation, the CTE situation, uh, being a football player and being around some of these players and, and being around and hearing about this disease that is now really taking over uh, not only football, but hockey, baseball. I mean, we're hearing about this uh, really hitting in all different sports. Uh, does that scare you as a player, knowing that you you know that this uh, this has affected so many players in the past? Um, it's certainly something you think about. Um I feel like I've always played the game extremely safe when it comes to head injuries. Um, I've been very healthy, you know, uh, in my football career. I've had very minor, minor injuries, but have been healthy, never felt uh, lost out on the field or seen stars. I've had a healthy career, but um, certainly gives you something to think about. Um, but, you know, part, it's part part of the game. It's a now new thing that's part of the game. And I think they're doing everything they can to make the game as safe as possible. But it is what it is. We're all going to go at some point. Um, so hopefully it's later rather than sooner. So um, I'm the type of person who likes to live life full speed within some certain rules. And if I'm super passionate about playing football, um, it's something I certainly want to give a go and you know, I know the risks that come with it. So Errol brought up the XFL before and Dwayne Johnson buying it for the entertainment and money standpoint. But another story came out last week about the XFL and NFL executives meeting about the rule changes. And football has always been thought of as one of those sports that's very independent because it's not as much worldwide as a lot of the other sports, too. And even like baseball is their minor league systems, hockey is their minor league system. So it's not really as collaborative. Do you think this kind of move trying to collaborate on rules like this could make leagues professional leagues like that closer as a whole in the sport of football meaning like the xfl being the minor leagues of the nfl yeah yeah i think um there's such a love for the game of football here in the united states there's so many good football players out of there or out out here in in the united states that we need it we just need it and the fan support is there after seeing and playing in the XFL, I, I mean, the St. Louis team would have 50,000 people in their stadium. I wow. mean, that's mm-hmm. insane for a minor league football team. And I think it would prolong a lot of uh, guys' careers post-college if they didn't get a sniff in the NFL. And NFL coaches want to see more of them against higher level competition than college. Uh, I think it pro- uh, projects a great opportunity for those players um so yeah i i we need it <laughs> well and uh, i think the rock's making a good move yeah he, he absolutely is and, and like you said everything he touches turns to money so hopefully it turns right. money and puts money in your guy's pocket in the long yep. run because it, to me uh, i've i've seen enough with the you know obviously baseball's trying to arbitrate and try to change the arbitration and some of these minor league players these minor league players aren't making diddly squat i mean they're making Nothing. 50 to 60,000 a year when they're they're in the minor leagues for 10 years they never even step foot on the on on the uh, on the mlb field and they're trying to support a family you're 30 years old i don't know if you have any kids or you're not married 
But, I, I mean, you're jumping ship. You're going from the CFL to the XFL because you are obviously love the game. You want to continue playing the game. But you also want to make money so you can support your family. And yeah. and you're just not because the, even the NFL, if, if you play for their, what do they call their practice squad? Yeah. I mean, uh-huh. what, what are they bringing in every single week? $8,000 a week? I mean. Uh, yeah, eight or nine, 10000 yeah. somewhere in that. I mean, honestly, is it is it worth putting your, your body on the line every single week and getting your butts beaten in? I, I don't know. I mean, as a professional athlete, you want to see. Even if you're on a practice squad, you want to see twenty, thirty thousand because when you're done and you're retired and your body's all riggedy and you can't really do the things that other people could do to the age of sixty uh, to the age of seventy, you want to make sure that you could support a family and take care of your family, right or wrong. Absolutely, hundred um, percent. And you know the XFL pay; it, it hasn't came out what it is, but you know the other league that's kind of floating around right now is the USFL, mm. and I've seen those contracts and it's um, it's not money that you can live on for the rest of your life on, but can certainly be a great start immediately right out of college uh, and, and make in six months in a short period of time. So, you know, that some people it takes them a whole year to earn that money, that, that amount of money. Um, so I, yeah, the money definitely has to be there for, for me to give it a go for sure. Especially the game of football, baseball, you know, I guess you could play for the love, but football is just so physical and the lifespan's so short. So you saw Kyler Murray; he decided to uh, he decided football over baseball. Obviously, more love for the the football game than the baseball game. But I think he was probably going to be a first round draft pick, no matter where he went. <laughs> probably Dave Winfield was drafted in three different sports in the first round. Baseball, oh basketball, and football. He was that great of an athlete. And, and, and look, he's a Hall of Fame baseball player. So he loved baseball more than football and basketball because I think he would have made the Hall of Fame in any sport, okay? Even Bo Jackson. I mean, seriously, Bo Jackson, if he didn't get hurt, he would have been the Hall of Fame in baseball and football. He would have been the first. Has there ever, Speedy, you would know this, has there ever been a professional athlete that's been in the Hall of Fame in two different sports? No. So, oh, that would be that would be cool to see something like yeah. that. That yeah. would be interesting. Anyways, go ahead, Speedy. I was going to ask any lo- any of the teams you played for, whether it was with the Chargers, the Eagles, or any of the CFL XFL experiences you've had. One teammate and a teammate story that stands out to you that was funny, funny something something crazy like that in any of the locations you've been playing football in. Um, I probably have a couple, um, two real, two stories really stick out to me. Uh, my time at K-State, um, a, a player that played on my team was Tyler Lockett. You may know mm-hmm. him. He plays for the, uh, Seattle Seahawks. Um, he grew up in Tulsa. He played football at K-State with me. Our first semester freshman year, he needed a ride back home to Kansas city and I had no idea he even lived there. And it turned out we were neighbors and he literally lives two houses like behind my parents' house growing up. And we never knew that, but it's kind of crazy how small this world is and the success that he's had, go, you know, this season and, and his time post K-State. Uh, so that was a small little funny story. Not that funny, but. Uh, oh, it was funny. That's pretty funny that you actually, you guys went to the same school and you didn't even know that. Uh, well, we didn't go to the same high school. His, his, uh, he grew up in Tulsa. His dad lived in and played for the Kansas city, 
played for the Kansas City Chiefs, and he would kind of go up and uh, down and back between mom and dad's house. Mm -hmm. And uh, he he asked for a ride, and I had no idea he like lived in my neighborhood. Um, <laughs> I have a landscaping business that I started when I was real young, and I pretty much knew everybody in the neighborhood, and I couldn't believe that we were neighbors, <laughs> essentially. So that was that was kind of strange and weird and he's had a lot of success since so my neighborhood produces athletes there I you guess. go there you go that's that's a good but wait a second you were born here in new jersey man so you are <laughs> you are an east coast man and no matter what you say you were born and listen michael jordan was born in brooklyn okay let's let's <laughs> let's make it clear here he was born in brooklyn yes he was raised in north carolina so i don't want to hear it from anybody when you look at his background and you look at where he was born he was brought in brooklyn new york so there you go. Eat your heart out. He is a Brooklynite. So there you go. I want to uh, another that. another funny story is, and this one's kind of funny. Uh, I went undrafted, signed with the San Diego Chargers. Uh, once I found out I made the team, I made the practice squad. You know, your living arrangement is like absolutely crucial. You're trying to find the most affordable thing, something that's decent, because you're on the practice squad. You don't know if you're going to be there for a day or three weeks or the whole season. So I ended up uh, connecting with a family in Kansas City that had family in San Diego that were actually next door neighbors with Philip Rivers. So hmm. I lived in this family's guest house for like the first four to five weeks of the season until I kind of found a nice livable spot. And I told Phil that I, I had made the team and me and him are neighbors and he was like well, what the hell is the practice squad paying nowadays because <laughs> as you can imagine phil's carved out a great career in san diego he's got a family of 10 and he's got a mansion mm. and uh out in san diego and i i asked him hey do, do you think we could you know ride together to practice tomorrow and he was like yeah I'd be at my house at 5 a.m <laughs> i was like okay great walked uh got out of my house walked to the neighbor's house and uh it's pitch black outside the neighborhood where we're in is like, there's like no street lights. It's like pitch black and it's kind of like desert area. And I hear some like rattling in the bushes and I don't know. I'm like, what the hell is this? I tried getting out my cell phone to see what's in the bushes. And all of a sudden Roar! this guy comes out of the bushes and I'm like freaking out. And it's <laughs> Philip Rivers scaring the hell out of me at five o'clock in the morning. It's like, what are you doing, dude? And Kellen Clemens, who he's, I think he had some a brief career with the giant or with the with Jets. The Jets. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, he, uh, he also lived in the neighborhood. He was the backup quarterback at the time and he was filming the whole thing. And I freaked out cause I, it just scared the hell out of me. And uh, they were all laughing. Kellen had the video camera going. And this is right when um, uh, I think the, an undrafted free agent punched like Gino in the jaw yes, or something. Yes. <laughs> and Capali. <laughs> Uh, that that issue like happened like maybe the week before or a week later I I don't know and I it could have been that like he scared scared me so much that I thought I had to go into protection mode and <laughs> I was like Phil I break your nose I'm on a plane back to Kansas City quicker than you know so <laughs> luckily nothing bad happened and uh, 
but I just didn't expect him to do that at five o'clock in the morning. Well, hopefully, but, uh, we've heard a lot of crazy things of Philip Rivers, not only on the field but off the field. So, I wouldn't be surprised yeah. that Philip Rivers would do that. But uh, <laughs> uh, we are talking to former NFL, CFL, XFL fullback and pass rusher Ryan Mueller. Last question for me, Ryan. Um, obviously, the combine starts tomorrow. What, obviously, you did do the combine. You actually probably you know had the opportunity to run the forty. Uh, I'm sorry. I've done six combines. Six combines. Okay. Yeah. So six combines. Six pro days. Six pro They're days. Called pro days. So, what is it like uh, attending the combine and and putting your body through uh, and and playing in front of all these coaches, all these uh, GMs, all these owners? What is it like doing that and trying to play at the best level, doing the be- running your best time, uh, you know, lifting and jumping the highest that you can? What is it like doing the combine and putting yourself through that uh, opportunity? Oh, it's it's well, my first one, you're just nervous as heck, no matter what you do or say. There's just so much pressure on you. All eyes are on you. You know, every step is, you know, life and death is what it feels like. And it's absolutely critical that you perform and perform at the highest level you possibly can, because, you know, it's how you're evaluated and it's not necessarily how good of a football player you are. Because I, I feel like none of those drills really transition to how good of a football player you are. Um, to a certain degree, it's the, it's a, the weed out process is, is what it is. And the, uh, the scouts get their number and they go to their office and say, OK, well, you know, I did my job. Now it's I feel like that's it. Um, and I feel a lot of professional football players would also agree with that, but it's just part of the process and what you have to do. But uh, yeah, there's nothing more intimidating than being 40 yards away from 32 NFL teams. You're in your underwear and you're trying to run as fast as you possibly can. And there's a number (laughs) number you got to hit and you have no idea what that number is till you look back and you just hope you ran what you wanted to, what you needed. Ryan, you don't have to worry about that because Speedy doesn't wear any underwear, so that would be funny by <laughs> He's itself. lying. Don't listen to him. <laughs> don't, don't let him steer you the wrong way. Jeez, Speedy. <laughs> so my last question is, from a player's perspective of the Combine, uh, players that you've talked to, you mentioned you're at six different pro days, and uh, from your perspective, because we hear analysts, NFL analysts all the time say, oh, this guy hurt his stock by struggling at the Combine, or this guy raised to stock, but then there could also be the other way around. John Ross ran the, the highest record 40 dash, and then he's turned into nothing. Got drafted in the first round. Meanwhile, Orlando Brown, everyone's slamming his combine, falls to the third round when he was a first round prospect, and now is a nice player. Great tackle in the league. So, do players really care as much as they think? Is I mean, a mixed bag? What, what is the interpretation of that from what you've heard and also your time as a player? Yeah, there's definitely mixed batches of stories. There are certain things that can get you noticed immediately um and it it can show your character very quickly by hey man you had three months two and a half months to prepare for this you weren't sleeping and breathing the combine and trying to perform your absolute best from a future hiring our hire a person trying to hire you to be a football player for them if you're not putting in that two and a half months of absolute grind then you know, it's going to show, it's going to show, you know, your character and their long-term investment, if it's going to pay off uh, for them or not. 
Well, we kept you on for a very long time, but we're very happy for you joining us. Uh, tell the fans how they can find you on social media and how I, I Speedy told me you were promoting a video that you were posting up on your Twitter. Tell the fans how they can find it so they can check out what you're doing right now on and off the field. Sure. Um, uh, hop on YouTube, top, type in Ryan Mueller uh, football and pretty much all my highlights pop up there. Um, if you would like to follow me on Instagram or Twitter, feel free. Uh, it's at R underscore Mueller 44. Okay, man. We definitely want to get you on again. You, you have a really good personality and don't let him fool you over there. He really doesn't wear any underwear. Okay, don't so. listen to any of his underwear nonsense. He doesn't wear any well, underwear. I, I, I'm glad Speedy's remained seated the entire show. So he did. Nice. And I will he remain did. seated the entire show. Do not, <laughs> do not let him manipulate you over there. I hate for Speedy to steal the show, you know. Yeah, he well, he steals the show. Just make sure he sits down because I don't want to see anything behind there. Don't worry. At least it wasn't as at least it wasn't as much as it used to be. He usually asked every uh, every guest we had on if they were like a lot of the recruits that we had on college recruits he would used to ask them all the time underwear related questions <laughs> so at, least, at least he's at least he's uh, limited it down since then i have limited myself but you know it is true he doesn't wear any underwear and that's true i mean he's admitted it on this show that he doesn't that was okay. again again don't let him manipulate you on that i was I was in pajamas because I was at my house. See, See what a, now an excuse. Now an it excuse. was not an excuse. I couldn't get in the shower because of my brothers. So I excuse. I couldn't get dressed. I, I didn't do anything like that. So because we our show used to be earlier. This was uh, in 2020. So our show used to start at excuse. six. Excuse. My God. See, he's right. trying to make excuse. He's trying to. You so know, I'm going to put, I'm gonna put clean clothes on when I'm when I'm a, a stinky mess. Is that, is that you're telling me? So you put on your pajamas with. I left them on. It makes no sense. I was prepping for the show. We had other guests, and I didn't. <laughs> my brothers were in the shower. I didn't have time to get in. There you go. You see that, Ryan? He tried to sweep it under the rug. So, <laughs> anyways, Ryan, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate yeah. it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Ryan Mueller, ex-NFL, CFL, XFL, NFL, fullback, pass rusher, Ryan Mueller. I will say this, uh, and, and if anybody hasn't checked out his video, I checked out his video. Speedy was telling me he was promoting a video. It's actually really, really cool, and, and, and hopefully he does get a job with the XFL because uh, guys like this, he's 30 years old, works, trains his butt off. Uh, you know, he's trying to keep his, you know, his foot in you know, in the pattern of being an NFL player, everybody deserves a chance, especially with the hard work and dedication that these guys put themselves through. I, I mean, it's unbelievable. It, it really is. I think it's unfair. Uh, you know, the way the NFL treats players, they they take players, they give them a chance. And you know what? We don't want you anymore. So they throw them out. Uh, how many people we've seen this? How many athletes, Speedy, we've interviewed that they were in the NFL for a year, two years, and then all of a sudden they toss them to the wolves. Right. It's not fair. Hundreds. I, it's hundreds. It's not fair. I understand it's a small league and only 56 players to a team. Or what did they add? What is it now? It's one more. 54. It used to be 53. 54 players to a team. But there's practice, and, and maybe the NFL does need minor league. So, because the minor leagues could help them eventually move back to the NFL where they can make some massive money. I, I, players like this, he, he, you, you heard him. He's not a football, he's not a football fan, really. He's a, he's a fan of the game. He's not a fan of a team or any of that. Those are the players that are dedicated to their sports. So, I, I think 
I think players like that deserve an opportunity and have the opportunity to do what they love to do. And I just think it's unfair the way professional sports and, and the way they just toss players away. It just doesn't make sense. It's not, it's not right. It's unfair. And the, NFL, the NBA is doing it right now with the G League. They're finally giving players an opportunity to make money where hopefully in the long run, these G League players get an opportunity to move up into the NBA where they can make you know, three, four, five million dollars. I think the 14th player on a bench is making like five million dollars or something, something like, like that. that. I mean, it, it's really, average annual value gets rigged, Ryan was making rigged five by million, all the bad contracts. If Ryan was making five million dollars a year, you think Ryan would be complaining? Come on, seriously. Nope. <laughs> Not at all. Don't worry. Uh, we, 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 we'd be more than happy to give you uh, a, a fifth of Joakim Noah's contract. Oh, God, give me a break. Joakim Noah, another. And by the way, the Knicks lost again. So all you Knicks fans that thought they were going to win this game, again, they bombed it again. Thank you, Julius Randle, you ball-hogging bricklayer. Seriously. <laughs> unbelievable. This, this, you guys are ruthless out there. Oh, God. I, I sit here every single day trying to pray that this team was actually going to win games when they lose games that you wouldn't expect them to lose. Okay? How many teams do you know, Ryan, have 30-point leads going into the second half of a game, and they did it three times in two weeks, and they gave up the lead and lose by almost 12 points? How many teams do you know do that? Okay, I got one. The New York Knicks, the first Man. team ever, ever to do something like that. Thank you, Tom Thibodeau. Okay, I, and I was the one with, uh, that loved him when he, when he got the job. So there you go. I throw myself under the bus now, Ryan. Tough times. Yeah, it is tough times. Being a New York fan is more than tough times. I mean, the last time we've seen a championship was 2011, okay? Give me a break. I mean, you call us the godfather of sports. I call us the crap of sports. You want to go somewhere to die? Go to New York. <laughs> and now the Nets are about to do their decade javu. Oh, well. Let's bring it one big three, screw it up, and then screw it up again a decade later. Well, they, they have they have a... Uh, they have this thing with these GMs. They build a team, they build it around youth, and then all of a sudden they trade away the youth for older players, and they completely bomb. So, hey, the Nets have – they got Billy King, who's never going to get a coaching jo- – uh, never GM job ever again, and it's going to go right there to Sean Marks, who's never going to get a GM again, uh, a GM job again because he trades for James Harden and then trades him away for other garbage. So there you go. Uh says Boston is the new title town. Not recently. I mean, recently the new title town's in Georgia. Georgia yeah. and in the – Braves. You know, Snug would like to think that, okay? But, uh, you know, because he's from Boston. Of course, Boston is the title. I will say this. Boston is a better place of winning than New York, okay? At least they've won. I mean, we, we can't win nothing. I mean, I mean a lar- uh, from a larger sample standpoint, I think Boston and the Bay Area, San Francisco, slash... Golden State Warriors, Oakland are the same. Are probably the same when it comes to a Golden larger State decade. bought their championships. I mean, like, let's see. The, I mean, like, yeah. So have the Red Sox plenty of times though, too. So. I'll get out of here. I, listen, I'm not sticking up for Boston fans. Okay, I, I'm the last person that would do this. The Celtics bought the and traded for their championship. Okay. Well, hold on one second. Well, Boston, they built around a core and they brought in Ray Allen. They traded for Ray Allen and they traded for Kevin. Well, Kevin Garnett, that trade wasn't fair. Okay. Right. You know why Kevin exactly. McHale did that. He yeah. did that to help. He threw Danny Ainge a bone. Okay. Right. Why doesn't Danny Ainge, well, he's gone. Why didn't Danny Ainge ever throw us a bone as a Knicks? Okay. Nobody ever throws us a bone. You know what they throw us? They throw us a bag of, bag of crap. Okay. Uh, if, if Philadelphia fans eat crap, well, while we when we win, we're going to do. If, I'll tell you this right now: if the Jets ever win a championship, 
I will I will do you name it on, on any of these feeds. I will do the craziest son of a you know what thing that you've ever seen before that a fan would ever do. If the Jets ever win a championship, I will do something that nobody would expect me to do. Okay? I promise that. So if the Jets ever Zach Wilson, you hear me? Win me a championship, baby. Anyways, Ryan, maybe you'll be on the maybe you'll be on the roster. Maybe uh, the Jets will sign you. Listen, I'll write to. I did. I did run into Robert Kraft this weekend. Well, he's not oh. a Jet. He's not a Jet. He's a he's a Patriot here. So. Well, we were talking about Boston earlier. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, you could run into Joe Douglas. I mean, if you want to run into him, he is three hundred pounds of, you know, you know, man eating muscle. But uh, I, I listen. I'll reach out to Joe Douglas, and we need a fullback. We need a good fullback. We don't have any of them. Every time we bring in a fullback, they they seem to die off or they die straight six games away. You know, it's horrible. The Jets are horrible. Developing players, they're just horrible. So, uh, hopefully uh, this uh, entourage of coaches can change that with Robert Sala. But well, only only time will tell. But I have a feeling right. we'll be seeing a new coach in another four years. So, there you go. <laughs> I'm only telling the truth. I, I'm, I'm not lying, Ryan. I, 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 as a Jet fan, I could only, I could only hope that this. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put the Jets down every single year until they finally start to win. And then I'll, you know, as soon as they win, then I'll blow themselves. What up do you think, uh, Ryan, for player coach? Whatever wins, okay. If Ryan can coach, I, I'll make him my 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 running back coach. I'll bring in all these different coaches, these different ex players. If they can actually find a way, listen. Do I have to like? What do I have to do to get Bill Belichick to coach my team? How's that sound? I mean, he doesn't want to coach the Jets. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say he might coach every thirty other NFL teams, but not the Jets. No, he hates <laughs> for some reason. He hates the Jets. I mean, maybe it's Woody Johnson. I told you, my owner, his name is. Woody Johnson. You, you know what you do. You know when you think of the name Woody, what does it think? And then the la- the last name Johnson. I mean, we were talking about underwear. I mean, it's perfect. Woody Johnson. Who names that kid Woody Johnson? The Jets. I mean, seriously, the owner of the Jets. His name is Woody Johnson. Speedy. Could you could you could you make it any worse than that? I mean, Robert Kraft. That's a cool name. Woody Johnson. <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to ask the assemble, assemblation of this coaching staff that you have. So we have we have Ryan in there. We have Christian Okoye, and then we have Christian Okoye's daughter singing the national anthem. There you go, Christian. Christian was uh, really cool. Very good. Yeah, he he loved us too. But uh, you know, he even even threw the Jets, uh, you know, a little bit of a, a bone over there, saying that the you know you're a, you're a Jet fan, so I feel bad for you already. <laughs> Yeah, so thank you, Christian, for giving us all the compliments that the Jet fans need. Anyways, Ryan, you don't have to hit listen to this anymore. Uh, thank you for joining the show. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Ryan Mueller, when we come back, we'll get into the combine. We will talk a lot about high school, college football. No, I'm just kidding. We'll talk about the combine. We'll talk about what the Jets and the Giants need to do and, and what you fans need to watch and see at the combine that really can nitpick what your team could go after at the draft this year in 2022 here on the Sports Loudmouths. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. What? 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 We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Sports Loudmouths. I'm the host, Errol Marks, my co-host. Speedy, 
PD. Remember, you can call us at 631-672-3108. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Wow. It was great. The first hour and a half of the show with our guests. We even had Ryan stay on for another 20 minutes listening to me you know, cry about the New York Jets. Okay? And then me recruiting him to the coaching staff. <laughs> well, I think the Jets would need somebody like that. I mean, at least they could at least Ryan would maybe show the Jets what it is to win. I mean, Ryan played for San Diego, so at least they actually won. They didn't win no Super Bowl, but they won many, many seasons. But anyways, that's just a whole other story. Yes, emphasis on San Diego Chargers. Good yes. job, Ryan. Making making sure that's known and, and putting it out there for St. Louis too. For you the, hate for the, the San Diego Chargers. I no, I, no. I, I I mock the Chargers for other reasons, but I prefer them in San Diego over L.A. And mm. a lot of the even a lot of the San Diego natives will will tell you that, that a lot of them don't even root for the Chargers as it is, but even less so once they move too. And uh, even even when we saw even when Chaz met up with us, he was saying this the same thing like <laughs> all these uh, football fans. Oh, they're football fans on the side, but uh, n- n- they can't root for the Chargers. <laughs> well, I, I want to get into this combine. I know a lot of people, the, the NFL is trying to sell this. You, you, you heard what Ryan said. Uh, it's so much pressure. And your first time you step on the field, it's, you're, you're running like in your underwear and trying to impress coaches, GMs, and owners. And, and really, it, it, a lot of these players could look good and look terrible on a football field and game day. And a lot of these players could look great and uh, look bad and look great on, on a Sunday, you know, in the NFL. And we've seen this many, many times. Speedy, you look at this year's crop of prospects. What sticks out to you more than any of the years? I think the difference is a lot of this year is offensive depth positions more than we see offensive obvious stars. This year doesn't have one obvious star at a lot of these offensive skill positions like we've seen in the past. Last year, we knew Jamar Chase was going to be a top receiver, and look at look at the year he turned out. Probably the best year you'll ever see out of a rookie receiver. Look at the quarterbacks the, uh, the past couple of years. Burrow, Herbert, guys like that. There's not really that obvious thing. So this combine could be a difference maker for certain positions like that. I look at the wide receivers especially. You can ask probably 20 different NFL analysts. They'll give you five different guys they have as the number one receiver. We were talking about it on the way here. Is it Traylon Burks? Could it be Drake London? A lot of people think it's Garrett Wilson. Even off the injury, Jamison Williams. Now, he's not going to be at the combine because of his injury, but still, like a lot of people have different opinions on who that kind of thing is. And that kind of separation could make a difference at the combine. Maybe somebody that we thought, all right, maybe he was good on a good team but might not look as good on an NFL field that might have a good combine and think otherwise. I was thinking for a while that way when it came to Justin Jefferson, and I was proven wrong. Now he's a top three, top four receiver in the league. So maybe the, maybe Chris Olave is somebody like that too. A lot of people are downgrading now, but maybe could stand out. So it's going to be like that with the receivers, especially with the quarterbacks too, and the running backs, because a lot of these running backs are not as high-priced either. Yeah, It's interesting because we, we talk about the Jets and what the Jets need to do uh, this offseason to really boost this team up and this roster up. And we've seen teams uh, year in and year out, they, they were a really, really bad team. The Bengals, uh, a couple of, two years ago, mm-hmm. the Bengals won four games. The year after, they were in the Super Bowl. So, and I'm not saying the Jets are going to do that. And I'm not saying Zach Wilson is Joe Burrow. I'm not saying any of that. But when you look at the offseason, the money that a team like the Jets have and, and the draft stock that they have, they could rebuild this roster 
very, very quickly. Now, they have to find a number one wide receiver. Now, are they going to do it in, in trades? Are they going to do it in free agency? Are they going to do it in the draft? Now, you were just talking about Drake London, a guy that really sticks out. Elijah Vera Tucker is really trying to sell him to the Jets. Uh, obviously, they played together in USC. And, and the kid's got a tremendous amount of ability. Now, we heard Jeff speak very, very highly of uh, Drake London, that he thinks that he could be the best wide receiver in this year's draft. Now, the interesting part uh, of the combine is to see what these guys could do not on the field necessarily when a player is taking them, but on the field, uh, uh, their athletic ability, their their strength and their conditioning. That's what people want, their stamina. That's what shows up at the combine. Now, DK Metcalf was a wide receiver that wasn't highly profiled going into the draft. Everybody thought he was a fourth-round talent. You and I were both skeptical of him. I don't think we said fourth yeah. round. We were both skeptical of him because of his route running. Absolutely. And what he proved at the combine is he was one of the fastest, big, big, talented wide receivers we've ever seen in, in the combine, who is very strong, has an unbelievable physique, could jump, could do all the stuff that you expect uh, a talented wide receiver to do. Now, what has he done in the NFL? Well, besides last year, he didn't have such a great year, but his, his rookie year, he was one of the best wide receivers in the league. He was a pro ball player. And, and, and to me, you can't really define a player at the combine. You really can't. But what you can see in the combine is if, if this player fits your uh, your talent, your style of player that's going to fit your offense, going to fit your defense. Uh, obviously, if you're a defensive coordinator, you're looking for speed on the edges. If you're a 3-4, a 4-3 defense, you're looking for a particular player that can you know, stop the run or something like that. You need to find the guy that defines that defense, that's going to help that defense moving forward in the next four to five years, especially if they're a first-round talent where you could give them that bonus fifth year. So y- you look at you know this draft speedy, you wonder who fits the mold of that particular offense, that particular defense, or your particular team. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of that just because of the hybrids, too, that I was mentioning earlier with Ryan. A lot of them are in this prevalent in this draft as well. We talk about Kyle Hamilton all the time, a guy that could play strong safety. He could be a slot corner. He could be a linebacker. He played more linebacker this year because the Brown, uh, Jeremiah Wusu, who was there at Notre Dame, at Notre Dame, he, went, he was drafted by the Browns. So he kind of took over that kind of role. And obviously he was already great before that, as it was, one of the best safeties in college football that we've seen. But we were mentioning other hybrid type players, a guy like DeMarvin Leal mm-hmm. out of Texas A&M. A guy that could be, he was a defensive tackle at certain points with Texas A&M, then he was an end. Now he could be an outside rusher, a stand-up rusher. How that will affect his stock when it comes to the combine, too. Because we've seen a lot of these prototype defensive linemen. Some of them have worked, some of them haven't at the NFL level. Rashawn Gary was probably the most recent one of that with the Packers, was drafted by Michigan, and now he played well this year amidst all the injuries they had with the pass rushers. So sometimes it takes a while to find your form with those hybrid players, but other times it might it might work out. In the case of Isaiah Simmons, he played well this year, but had a rough start to the beginning of last year because of the, the pandemic year and stuff like that, too. So you just never know. But definitely the combine could get other traits involved with that kind of thing. Now the speed obviously will make a difference on the athleticism as well as the strength. Like Isaiah Simmons ran like a running back, so... That obviously is going to boost his stock. But if one of those defensive linemen, offensive linemen, or even even linebackers run like that, that's going to make a big difference. And especially with the money that you have, and, and there's a lot of teams like the Bengals. They have $47, $50 million that they can spend with the new rules. Could be $16 million more. So 
you know, the Bengals have a lot of money. Now, they obviously have to sign their safety, who who's going to be demanding a lot of money, and Jesse Bates. But also, they could get free agents. They could bring in free agents right here. They're a player or two players away from being a Super Bowl contender next year with, with, with the dynamic of the draft stock that they're going to have going into this year's draft. I mean, the Bengals could be good for many, many years to come. We, we, talk, we, we talk about some of the other teams. The New England Patriots. Now, they are two or three players away from being a Super Bowl contender again. Last year, their weakness was the wide receiver position. They don't have a true number one. They have a good tight end now. They actually have two decent tight ends. Uh, their offensive line played very well this year in front of Mac Jones. Mac Jones looks like he could be the real deal. He fits the, the mold of what a, a quarterback needs to be in New England. They don't have to be Tom Brady. They just need to be the guy that can make every single throw. Um, Josh McDaniels isn't there anymore, but uh, I mean... The Patriots don't have money in free agency this year. They really don't. They don't have a lot of money. But what they do have is they have draft stock. And you know what Bill Belichick likes to do. He likes to find needles in the haystack in the second, third, fourth, fifth rounds. So I look at where you know some of these teams are lying. And, and, and really what you're trying to figure out as an organization, you don't know what this organization is going to find in the later rounds. And I think what makes the draft so special and the combine so special is finding those needles in the haystacks, Petey. Uh, before we ever get to that, uh, Snug says, no, Snug, my brother was not both. They were not both in the shower at the same time to answer that question. Uh, Snug also says, uh, Boston fans are a kind and gentle nation. Mm, uh, I yeah. doubt that. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Yeah, CC co- Sabathia on that one. <laughs> he says, ha, ha, ha. I, he would coach CFL before going to the Jets. I'd love to coach as well. The combine is such a waste of time. Everyone knows you spend your first six picks on the next best player who played for Alabama. Mm-hmm. Duh. We all know Chris Jones was a special player when he ran his 40 at the combine. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah, to an extent, Alabama is going to get that kind of recognition for a team that's been so good for so long. But this draft really doesn't have that much for, with, with Alabama this year. Obviously, Neal's going to be a top five, you would imagine, top five pick, because if the Giants don't take him there, I don't know what they're doing, but you would think that's the case. Jamison Williams was kind of thought of as that guy. Neal's not even going to be there at five. Yeah, I don't think so either, but I'm just saying, I would hope the Giants aren't that dumb to pass on Neal after all the offensive line woes they've had, but if he, if he was I can't see there. the Jaguars passing up on him. But now there's another rumor the Jaguars are looking to trade the number one pick, too, so we'll see if they end up getting a good haul back for that. Where are they going to drop down to? The Jets? They're going to drop down to the Texans. I mean, maybe the Giants want to move up, but if the Giants move up, what are they going to have to give up? Yeah, I would imagine it's for one of the pass rushers because I think Detroit at two is – I mean, they could draft Neal as a great player, but I think they're more looking at defense, I would imagine. They need edge rushers in the worst way. They could also They drafted an offensive lineman last year. They did, and they also still have a good young guard in Jonah Jackson – and Frank Ragnall has just signed. He was hurt last year, but he was a good center. So I don't, I, I don't think they'll be looking. But then again, the Lions also draft offensive line at weird times. That will, then when they're not supposed to, they draft tight ends at weird times when they're not supposed to. So we'll never know with them. If but. Neil is sitting there at four, the Jets are drafting him. I can't see the Jets passing up on a pass, uh, an offensive lineman that could solidify your offensive line. I, I can't see it. Unless there, something falls like a... You know, a Thibodeau or a Hutchinson falls to the Jets at four. Right. Then the Jets would have. I know everybody says Kyle Hamilton. Kyle Hamilton will be there at ten. 
I really believe Kyle Hamilton will be. Yeah, we went over those scenarios a couple weeks ago. The only team that would probably be a threat to take Kyle Hamilton is, no, Atlanta, I think. Carolina's got a lot in the secondary. I don't think they'll necessarily need it. I think Carolina's looking at more offensive line and offensive skill players because they're also rumored they're looking to shop Christian McCaffrey just like the Giants are looking to shop Saquon Barkley as well. Mm-hmm. So they're going to lose a lot Because they can't stay healthy. Right. And they're, they're, the Panthers are actually 18th in salary cap. They, were, they had a lot of money last year, but a lot of dead money, I guess, carried over from all the bad contracts they had in the past, maybe this year, hurting them too. So because they, they'll need a lot of different things. The quarterback position still a question mark for them too. But Atlanta is a team just because they still have a good amount on offense and their their secondary had some good pieces on defense but still need a lot on defense, could still go after that kind of thing. They need pass rush help too, so they might they might be another team that could trade up for a pass rusher as well. But the Giants, they have more positions to look at than safety. Carolina, I think his chin chin's a good player. They have all the corner depth. I, I wouldn't I think they'd be worried as much with that. And Denver definitely doesn't need that. So it would be stupid for the Jets to draft Kyle Hamilton at four when I think he's going to fall to ten. I, I really do believe he. If if the Jets don't draft him at four, nobody's going to draft him anywhere but but ten. Okay, so the Jets could get the offensive lineman that they want, and they could get Kyle Hamilton and really solidify both their offensive line and their defense right there. And then, and what the Jets would have to do moving forward is in the second round look for pass rushers in the second round and or, or linebackers in the second round and, and decide what they're doing in it that way. But or maybe they trade down, they trade down at ten. They're not going to get Kyle uh, Hamilton, and they could get a first round draft pick this year and a first round pick next year, and really solidify their draft next year. Yeah, so, the, the only way I could see the Jets drafting him is if they try to maybe use him as an inside linebacker. But I don't think you need to draft something that early at four, where especially if the pass rushers are still there. If the pass rushers are still there, or Evan Neal, you have to take one of those. You have to win in the line of scrimmage at first. And a lot of the drafts that we've seen now, even top labeled safety prospects we've seen fall. Derwin James was considered a top five overall prospect, but fell to 17 in uh, not Jamal Adams, but Malik Hooker in his draft 2017 was considered a top 10 prospect, fell all the way to the middle of the first round. Now he's been injury prone as we, maybe we can see why. He hasn't been any good. Yeah. He's been good when he's on the field. He just hasn't been, he's been hurt a lot and the Colts have played well without him too. So they were able to move off of him at the time. But a lot, a lot of these guys are considered the top prospects at that position and fall. Look at Minka. Minka was a versatile guy. They could play slot corner, he could play outside corner, he could play safety. He fell to 11 somehow. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't value it as much as even just the pure shutdown, shutdown corner or somebody of that mold. So, yeah, the Jets definitely have to prioritize trenches at four, depending on if it's Neil if he's there or one of the two top pass rushers. They, there's other, diff- other scenarios they could go after for pass rushers as well, but they could even try to trade back in other scenarios too because they need a lot of not front edge guys because they have enough in the middle, but edge guys is always good to have a position of depth too. So well, even taking two Lawson. is not bad either. They have Carl Lawson. They need somebody right. else. Right. And they need a, and one of these young guys, if Thibodeau was there at four, why would you pass up on Thibodeau? I know what Jeff was saying the other day. Why wouldn't they Jets? Why wouldn't the Jets pass up on him? Because he, the guy can't stay healthy. But uh, the Jets have most to of take, it's minor injuries though. The, I don't think it's j- anything drastic. The Jets have to take chances. I mean, seriously, right. they're not. 
they're not a winning organization. They need to hit on one of these draft picks where they become super superstars and turn into like an Aaron Donald. If right. if Thibodeau turns into Aaron Donald, the Jets have solidified themselves and put themselves in a great position uh, for the future. So, it, and that's what they need to do. I mean, Quinton Williams is a good player, but when you're dependent on Quinton Williams to get to the quarterback and stop the run, well, that's why the Jets' run defense was one of the worst in the league this right. year. Because he's the, they're depending on him also to get to the quarterback. If you narrow that out and you have Carl Lawson on one side, Thibodeau on the other, then you could say, hey, listen, Quentin, worry about the middle and stopping the run. And that will help and solidify that defense to move forward as one of the more talented front sevens in the league. Yeah, the Jets have also wasted a lot of talented defensive tackles over the course of the last 20 years or so, too. Uh, we were talking about it last week with Mike Wall when he was on the show, too. He was playing with Chris Jenkins. Chris Jenkins came over the Jets with a nice nose tackle, but they didn't really have much of an outside rush. And they didn't say they would let her Williams. Now they're in danger of doing the same thing to Quinton Williams. Now, Quinton Williams also had injury issues, too, which hasn't helped either. But still, it, that's a talent that you can't waste now going into his last year of his contract where they're going to make the determination if they're going to pay him. The best way to do that is to help healthy edge rushers alongside that. It, it might take two. Maybe well, they, they could give him a fifth-year option, and they can also franchise him. And I think that's what the Jets are going to do. Uh, if they're unsure with him this year, they'll franchise him another year to see if he can absolutely do it back-to-back years, and then they'll give him the extension. Because it, you know Joe Douglas isn't going to overspend this right. offseason. He's not. He's going to get the, the players that fit the defense and fit the offense that is not cheap, but right there in the mold where he could decide, you know, in two years that he can get rid of them. Or somebody young hurt. and controllable that yes. they're not going to have to worry about. He's not going to just throw away his salary cap just because, you know what, they have the money, so do it. Joe Douglas is going to save that option that when when the time is right and they need their one player or two players away from being a contender where he can make that move and bring that player in that could really fill in that spot. So I don't see Joe Douglas going out there and doing what the Patriots did in the offseason last year where no. they wanted to solidify what their team was going to be. So says Mark told me that smart teams always draft Bama. Yeah, well, then there's also Rolando McLean and Henry Ruggs, too. So that's not necessarily a How about Richardson? <laughs> well, yeah, but at least Richardson didn't have any off-field issues. He was just a natural bust. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sug says, Sug says next year's Super Bowl, Lions versus Jets. And Saquon B. Sanders Barkley, how could you trade that kind of talent? Mm-hmm. Well, because the Giants are $11 million over the cap and need so many other things. So the Giants need to trade a lot of different pieces. There's also rumors with James Bradbury, too. Uh, Joe Shane was saying they also could lean towards cutting Bradbury as well if they can't trade him, which I don't know why they wouldn't do that. Why they would do that. He's still a good corner. He fell off from his 2019 season, but he's still a good corner. And they don't really... They have young players in their second year. I don't think anyone else is ready to become a number one corner on that team right now, even though they have a lot of depth. So that wouldn't make much sense. But yes, no, Sa- Saquon is probably going to be traded this mm. offseason. Again, the value is tough to tell because there's not a lot of teams that need running backs, and the running backs aren't being as valued because a lot of the top teams have offensive coaches that platoon those running backs. The Chiefs do it all the time, the the Rams, the 49ers. A lot of those teams platoon running backs where the feature backs are rare. Now, Derrick Henry's one, Joe Mixon's one, but again, there's not many of them in today's league where is the team going to value that kind of thing that's a contending team that's going to want to take on that kind of trade is going to be difficult to tell. That's why I think the Giants only end up getting like a third-round pick or something for that kind of thing, or maybe a fourth and another type of player or future picks. You're not going to get much because of the injury risk and just because of the position he's in. Mm, well, I think it's going to be very, very interesting. And, and watching the combine and, and understanding how the combine works, and it, it, it doesn't make any sense. It, it doesn't because – 
you could score high at the combine and and get drafted, you know, in the first or second round, and then two years later you don't even make a football team. I, I mean, we've seen this before. I mean, Vernon Galston being one of them. He was a top ten pick with the Jets, and I can name just Jets because I, I know the Jets. Vernon Galston, he was from Ohio State. Everybody thought he was going to be the next big pass rusher. He gets drafted. Two, three years later, he's had one sack his whole career. I think not even a sack. He's had one tackle his whole career in the NFL. <laughs> I mean, seriously. They put him on special teams. He couldn't even he couldn't even play the special team. So there are players that just fit the NFL mold, and there are players that there were players that didn't fit the college mold, and they go into the NFL and become stars. We've seen this before. Well, yeah, a lot of the small school players, especially that get buried on just bad teams a lot of the time, or teams that play against a lot of those tough matchups if they had a good non-conference schedule. But, yeah, Vernon Golston was definitely one that was exclusively just a speed rusher, and the Jets uh, definitely reached on in that draft. Not to say that the other teams did great either at that time. Derek Harvey was another bust. Uh, Gerard Mayo was a pretty good player. Maybe they could have had him, but they didn't really need an inside linebacker at that time. But there's always going to be somebody like that. But, yeah, combine stars, another thing to – not fall in the trap for two. Uh, you want to judge John Ross from 2017, like I was saying earlier, breaks the record for combine speed, but we knew he had drop problems. He, we knew he couldn't really run routes. He was projected as a second round pick for the most part. Maybe some of them at elite first. And now he rises up to the number nine pick because of that. I mean, seriously, Henry Ruggs, the same kind of thing. Yeah, he had the off-field issue, but he wasn't that great when he was on the field for the Raiders. Raw speed isn't everything. The same thing with strength, too. Everyone was making a big deal about freaking Will Hernandez benching all he did. Nice run blocker, but he couldn't pass block to protect, and now the Giants are going to lose him this offseason. So, <laughs> Snook says... Past performance does not guarantee future results. And uh, Ben says the Lions-Jets Super Bowl ended a tie. Probably right. I mean, obviously. But, uh, again, I I think that the Lions uh, are doing something right right now. I I really do believe that. I think the Lions are putting themselves in a good position to succeed. They could trade trade Jared Goff in the Mm offseason. I mean, he had a good season. There will be teams looking for a quarterback, Pittsburgh being one of them. Uh, they are talking about maybe bringing in Mitchell Chabitsky. I, I I read an article the other day about that. I think that wouldn't be a bad move for, for Pittsburgh. They need to find somebody that could fill in. Mitchell Chabitsky is, what, 28, 29 years old. He's yeah. still young. He's fairly young. You bring him in. Maybe they make a move for Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, he he's still available. If if San Francisco's w- willing to move away from him, I, I don't know if they believe in um, Trey, um, Trey, Lance. Trey Lance. So I don't know what... You know, all these teams are going to predict or decide to do. But if you look at the big picture right now, there are many teams looking for that quarterback in the future of that organization. So uh, Mitchell Dubitsky's name has been coming up. Uh, Marcus Mariota's name has been coming up. But both quarterbacks that were highly profiled, top 10 picks that really never had the opportunity to develop into that future or a franchise quarterback. Marcus Mariota, I thought at one point was going to be a franchise. I loved him out of the draft. I remember that. Uh, I really thought he was going to be. He took his team all the way to a national championship. Uh, fell short, obviously, uh, from Oregon. And uh, I, I thought I thought uh, Marcus Mariota, with his uh, talent, his arm talent, his accuracy, and his his feet were his footwork on the field. I thought Marcus Mariota was going to be very successful, and, and it just his injuries really hurt him and. And obviously, Tennessee gave up on him. They just completely gave up on him. Yeah, his first two years looked good because they really didn't have a lot of receiving talent to help him out. They had Delaney Walker, who was a good tight end, but they were more of always a running team. And that, at that time, defense, when they did get good right in the beginning, then, then 
2016-2017 season, he was the best player out of those two. And then since then, since then, he's really fell off. And the injuries had something to do with it. But also, again, him regressing as a talent, too, didn't help. And the injuries made it harder for them to move off of him and trade him. And obviously, now they have Ryan Tannehill. And they're not going to be stuck with him for a while with that contract. Are you surprised that Tom Brady is still speaking? That uh, he, he doesn't know what his future lies? That he he's, he's st- still insinuating that he might come back, okay? Now, I, I don't... He says that I I don't know what the future tends to. But you just retired. You told us you're done playing football. Now there are stories coming out, and we'll get into the whole Kane uh, Velasquez situation too. By the way, the UFC fighter uh, that got uh, you know shooting up a storm. A whole nother story, but uh, I don't think Kane Velasquez will ever fight in the UFC again. But that's just it. I think it was a gun, or it was a, it was it was a car accident. I think it was a gun charge, if I'm not mistaken. But, I mean, Tom Brady coming out and saying, the only way Tom Brady comes back, the only way he comes back is if San Francisco reaches out to them, him and his family and says, listen, we've got all the players lined. You have an opportunity to win a Super Bowl with our team. We have the wide receivers. We have the best tight end football. Our defense is a top end. We, we, we can win this year. With, without, with you, we can win. And I think that if Tom Brady heard that and it was a good sale and he was making $20 million, I think Tom Brady comes out of retirement and plays one more year with San Francisco and tries to win a championship with a third team, which has never been done before. Yeah, so, we've seen we've seen Brady take pay cuts with the Patriots too. So I don't think $20 million will mean a lot. Obviously, the money money flow comes in well with Giselle as well. But uh, 49ers right now, $2.9 million uh, over the cap right now, so they're going to have to shed some, make that work. But obviously, they bring in Brady. They'll trade Jimmy G anyway, or cut him if they can't trade him, and then they'll just carry over the dead cap. For Why next wouldn't year. that be crazy? I mean, no, it's, it's not crazy. The Patriots traded Jimmy G to San Francisco, and why not cut Jimmy G for Tom Brady? So. It wouldn't be crazy to hear that or figure out that story to be the way it is. Jimmy G would probably jump off a bridge if that happens. But, uh, I mean, they're, they're Tom, a Tom Brady away from winning a Super Bowl. They really are. They bring in Tom Brady? I mean, does that solidify them to be a Super Bowl contender? Uh, absolutely. Has to be. The rest absolutely. of the roster, maybe outside of their secondary depth really is loaded they have running backs they have plenty of receivers they have a, a good not great good offensive line they kit. have a good running game absolutely yeah. good good running game and you put tom brady in that offense with the wide receiver depth that they have and the, the tight end that they have and and the the offensive line that uh, really was one of the best offensive lines of football they win the super bowl they win the Super Bowl. Uh, ben answered your question as well about Velasquez. Yeah, Bumped up to that. attempted murder and gun charges. Wow. Yeah, it, it's a shame because uh, I actually met Cain Velasquez years and years ago. Uh, he was the heavyweight champion uh, of the UFC years and years ago. Uh, uh, one, very nice guy. Uh, very funny, too. Uh, big, big legs. Uh, has unbelievable kicking power. I mean, I watched his workouts at a gym. Uh, fantastic workouts. I mean, this guy... Was a Muay Thai, you know, type of. I, I mean, why is he carrying around guns? His legs are lethal weapons. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, it just it's horrible. I mean, it, but again, you just don't understand. You don't understand these athletes. You don't understand players. You don't understand what they're thinking in their head and think that they're going to get away with it. I don't know what it was for. Was it because of a woman? Uh, because somebody was cheating? I I don't know the whole story, so I can't really assume anything. But. That's a crazy story to hear that Cain Velasquez um, 
is, is might go to jail for a significant amount of time because he, he was yeah. shooting up in a public area and he was getting you know because of something crazy. I mean, yeah. This other article says uh, attempted premeditated murder and. Uh, charges what was it about? Re- what was charges it about? related to multiple gun charges relating to a shooting Monday night uh, targeting Harry Eugene Gularte, who was charged with molesting one of Velasquez's young relatives. So I guess it's a, maybe a revenge case or something like that. Well, if that's the case, Cain Velasquez should be let go. Okay, because yeah. if he, if this guy's molesting his nephew or something like that, or is one of his re- relatives, that guy should be murdered. That ca- that guy should be tortured. Okay, that's disgusting. Yeah. It really is. It really is. Mm-hmm. Snuck says, Tom Brady could take Kane Velasquez's spot on the UFC roster. <laughs> I hope Kane is a really good attorney. Oh, yeah, you're going to need one in this case. That's a lot of gun charges and attempted premeditated murder. That's a lot. Yeah, well, I would have murdered that guy, too. I would have I would have ended that guy's life, too, if, if it came down to it. Uh, ben also adds, a daycare worker was allegedly committing lewd acts on one of the Velasquez relatives and confronted the daycare worker, too. What wow. happened? What, what was that? Ben says, a daycare worker was allegedly committing lewd acts on one of the Velasquez relatives, and he also confronted the daycare worker, too. So, so, what, so what was he doing? He, I, obviously, the daycare worker was doing it to his now, but, but what does he mean he confronted the daycare worker? What do you mean? So maybe there's another attack, too, that hasn't maybe connected with this, too. Uh, yeah, it doesn't say in this article. That's horrible. Wow. That's a horrible story. That really is. I feel bad for Cain Velasquez because uh, Cain's just trying to protect somebody. That's what he's trying to do. And obviously you don't do it that way. Right. I mean, I, you can you can do it with your legs. I, I would have went to his house and I would have just kicked the crap out of him or something like yeah, that. Yeah, uh, Ben says Velasquez shot at the guy and hit a relative of that guy standing next to him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did he kill him? Uh, he said hit. I don't think it's a killed. Uh, Kane heard about it from the relative and went to the daycare to confront the guy. Okay, mm. so I didn't say kills, just confront, and maybe threaten or something like that. And I guess if he's a UFC fighter, he seems pretty intimidating, I would imagine. Mm, I would be, too. I mean, it's Kane Velasquez, but <laughs> I'd be shitting myself, you know, if I saw him walking up to the door. I mean, like, seriously, you don't need to bring out a gun. I mean, uh, that guy would have, uh, he injured him. Injured so. him, okay. All right. Uh, it's it's a horrible story. Yeah, really definitely. is. I mean, I, I I mean, what could you say about that? I mean, I, if 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 you're if it was your family, you would probably would have done the same thing. I mean, honestly, if it was my brother or if it was my nephew, and I found out somebody was physically molesting my nephew, what do you think I'm going to do? Right. You think I'm going to just sit there and say, oh, I'm just going to leave it alone. I'll pat him on the back and just go in there and talk to him and have a good conversation with him. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to try to kill the guy. Okay? That's just me. I, I don't know. But uh, gunshot wound was not fatal. Okay? So obviously it's going to go in front of a jury and a jury is going to have to make a decision. If this is true and he was really getting molested, I, I think the jury is going to – he didn't kill anybody. They're going to they're gonna narrow the charges. He, he might see – he he might see probation, maybe see a year. I mean, seriously, because this is this is horrible. Ben says the injured person was an innocent bystander slash relative of the daycare worker that's accused of the act. Okay, so what? He was in the way. You know, mm-hmm. he stood in the way. That's that. The, listen, it was an accident on on probably on the fact that he pulled the trigger. I I, I would think. Right. Um, I think he went with the gun to just threaten him, uh, but. Obviously, it turned into that. I, 
I don't know the whole story, but you, you, you'd be surprised what a, what a lawyer can do, okay? I've seen it. I mean, O.J. Simpson, okay? Well, yeah. I mean, you could be, you, you, you'd be very surprised what a lawyer can figure out. If you have money and you bring them the best lawyer, the lawyer will figure out how to keep you out of you know, harm's way or jail. And nobody's, nobody's going to mess with Cain Velasquez in jail, okay? I'm, I'm sorry nobody's going to mess with that guy. But it's a horrible story. You know, it, it, it really is because I know Kane to be a good dude. All right. I, I know him to be a good dude. As far as what I've known about him and what I've what the what this have, I I, I what is he writing over here? Ben says he'll get it dropped due to something minor, considering the mindset and circumstances. I would think so, too. You fire, you, Snug says. You fire a gun and hit someone. You go to jail. You, the gun always kicks up the minimum sentence. It depends on what it is, Snug. If if this story is true, okay, and this guy, his nephew or his his niece is getting molested, I you'd be surprised what a jury does. I mean, all it takes is one person saying no, okay, right, one. Right. They all have to agree to it. If one says no, it's going to be waived. It's going to be a mistrial. Yep. So, and and if they do it again. It could happen again. I right, mean, it could stall so much where they. Could if find he other could prove, so, yeah. if he could prove that his nephew or whatever, his niece or whoever it is, his cousin was getting molested, there's no way a jury is going to agree that he should go to jail. I'm telling you that right now. Not all of them. Not all twelve. Of not them. all twelve. No. <laughs> not all twelve of them. I mean, because they're going to sit there and say, I- "I'm going to put this guy in jail because yes, he shouldn't have been pulling out a gun. He should." He'll have misdemeanors. They'll find a way to keep him out of jail. There's no way uh, 12, 12 jury members are going to sit there and agree to this, knowing that this kid molested, uh, this guy molested his nephew or his niece. Right. I can't see it, uh, especially in front of a jury. You know, I, I'm a, maybe nine will agree, but all it takes is one person to say no. It's a mystery. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's 12 people the, every week or whatever, however long they meet. I, I, I forget how jury duty works exactly, but 12 people. So you have to you have to get it to a majority to begin with usually, and then it takes a while for everyone to agree too. So that you're talking probably on average, what, two, three months it takes them to agree a lot of the time on most yeah, cases? Yeah, that's why I just I, – I, it's a shame. And if he does go to jail for this, that's, that's sad because – He's only there. He's only there to protect. I know nobody died, nobody was murdered. Yeah, you know, and stuff like that. Obviously, thank God nobody was murdered. But the fact that if this is true and this kid, this guy was molesting kids, I, I mean, that's horrible. Yeah. Uh, ben also says Benel Benel Dariush skips Dariush skips surgery and is planning for summer return to UFC. Well, again, you know, we go from that to you know this i mean seriously uh thank you ben but uh th- that came velasquez story was this hard I-, I read a little bit about it i wasn't sure i know he was arrested but i i know i i thought it was i, I thought it was gun charges but i didn't know the whole story yeah really just had arrested on multiple gum charges right now uh, and premeditated murder is what they're going on right now but yeah yes, that'll be- that jury is still going to be it's going to be an indicative decision still which probably is going to take a while there, first of all, he is—he's not going to be sitting in jail. So everybody that thinks he is will have bail. 
Uh, he's not going anywhere. Uh, well, yeah, he'll be on trial during the case. Yeah, and whenever the trial is two years from now, because that's what it's going to take. It's going to take two years because of the back thing with the COVID and everything like that. Yeah. It'll be two years later. And when it does, there, if he could prove that that kid, was, he, any whoever he was sticking up for was molested and it, it could be proven, they're, they're going to – there's no way a jury – 12 guys in a jury is going to agree to that, or 12 guys and girls, especially if it's a woman on, on trial. There's no way a woman's going to sit there and say, oh, it's okay, you know what I mean, and stuff like that. Because anybody would think in their, their wildest dreams, if it was your nephew or your son or your kid uh, and you wanted to protect them, that you wouldn't go out there and try to you know, seek revenge, okay? Uh, he didn't kill anybody, not, thank God. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a sad story all around because I, I told you, I met Cain Velasquez years and years ago, and he seemed like a really, really nice guy. So you, you, couldn't, you couldn't fathom uh, this whole story uh, behind everything, but it, it is sad. But, um, you know, back to, uh, you know, the, the NFL and, and, and everything. <laughs> uh, that's a crazy story, by the way. Um, this Dolphin thing keeps coming up that Deshaun Watson and uh, – uh, now there were stories coming out from, you know, Miami that the Dolphins have definitely shut the door on Deshaun Watson. I think that's a selling tactic. I, I think that's a trading tactic for the Dolphins. If somehow the Texans reach out to the Dolphins, you know, they're all ears to hear what they want from, from, from the, te- the Texans are going to want from the Dolphins. Don't you think, Speedy? I mean, well, it, I think the Dolphins now have to realize that their cap space is very high right now, too. So they have it's, it's definitely an opportunity. I think they're going to wait it out further, no matter what quarterback they end up going after, be, just because they have all this money to work with and sixty-one million that could get a lot of different positions. Now we know they need to get that offensive line hell uh, better because it's. It was the worst statistical offensive line for the last two years, Miami. Their offensive skill players, Jalen Waddle's a nice player, but they're going to be losing Mike Kosicki. They don't have a lot of other receiving depth. Their running back has been a question mark for a long time. It seems like on Twitter, every running back, free agent running back is rumored to Miami just because of how bad it's did you, been. Did you hear this story? Chris Greer confirms that the Dolphins called the Saints about Sean Payton. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. They're, they're, they're looking one for thing, that superstar. The coach. one thing that always the Dolphins always pride themselves on is being that flashy organization that loves for those big swing hires when it comes to coaches or players or something like that. So that doesn't surprise me. But I could get why Sean Payton wouldn't want to take a some of that ownership over there. Everything that went fell out with Brian Flores, and that's what's going to make it harder too for somebody like Deshaun Watson to want to go there too now, because Brian Flores was a big part of that, and Deshaun Watson's also stood for a lot of these issues that a lot of these players have dealt with, with the racism thing, and the Texans' ownership had it with the McNair family, and they had a lot of issues behind closed doors with that. We saw the, the Jerry Richardson get forced out of that because of racism and sexism in Carolina, and that Carolina has been a rumored team for that kind of thing. Now Miami, too, this kind of thing, too, the way it's fallen out. And they brought in they brought in a different head coach now, but it's still they were the last team that got a hire, so it, says, it tells that nobody wants to work for them anymore, and they might have to overpay to do that. And that may be the same thing with Deshaun Watson. He goes on a big contract now. Will it last? By the way, Ben, it says he says no bail till Monday. Uh, he'll get he'll he'll get bail. He'll definitely get bail. Obviously, the judge is going to keep him there until they figure out what the bail proposed bail is going to be. 
But one way or another, the guy's going to get out. He's a multimillionaire as a, as a UFC fighter. He's made a couple of million dollars as a heavyweight champion in all the years that he's been there. So he, he will be he, he will get bail one way or another. Right now, uh, obviously, they got to figure out uh, what the you know what the charges are going to be and how much the charges are going to cost to bail him out. Um, but uh, also, uh, the lead team to get Calvin Ridley, guess who it is, Speedy? The Patriots. The New England Patriots. <laughs> I mean, rumors are coming out right now that the New England Patriots reached out to the Atlanta Falcons, and they're talking trade right now with the Atlanta Falcons that could land Calvin Ridley to the Patriots, which is, is I mean, the Patriots have been looking for that number one guy for a while, for a long, long time. I mean, really, since Randy Moss. Right. No, they've they're never been a team that, that's the one thing that they haven't drafted well is receivers. They found Edelman, a Diamond in the Rough here and there, a college quarterback. They'll find their guys. Wes Welker came from Miami, was a punt returner. But in terms of homegrown receivers, they tend to botch a lot of those draft picks, especially in the second and third rounds a lot of the time. So maybe they're trying to avoid having to do that kind of thing and trying to push for Calvin Ridley. Now, it will be hard because Atlanta might, think of the Patriots cap situation, which isn't great as a situation of maybe they're going to try to do it for a prove it deal or a rental and not get as much back because Bill Belichick could play hardball. I've never seen, except for when they traded for Brandon cooks for a first round pick. I never seen them just like throw away draft picks like that, that easily. So yeah, they might be ready to win now. Right. They might if Calvin Ridley is a, a player or two players away from winning or be a Super Bowl contender. I could see the Patriots doing that. Yeah, so it depends on it. Depends. They're not giving up a first for Ridley. No, I don't think they will end a up second doing yes. it. That, but that's why I say I don't think they'll end up doing it for a, a first just because of that. The second, I could definitely see. But just because they have three first round picks, maybe. The do the e- Patriots have three first? No, no, the Eagles oh. do. That's the team I'm bringing up now. They're the team that was also linked. I've a been lot. hearing TK, Met- TK Metcalf a lot with the uh, the Eagles. With the Eagles, okay, yeah. that's that's interesting too. Ridley has a lot of the connections, though, with the Alabama guys they have over there, too. And that's why they were rooming as a good fit with Waddle and Jalen Hurts and all the other Alabama guys they have over there, too. They've just drafted their center. So they're trying to make it kind of a collaborative thing. So that's why I was hearing the Eagles. So the Eagles might overspend just to maybe steal them from the Patriots or something like that, where they could do a first-round pick, which is why I think they have the most leeway right now. But the Patriots have that urgency because they're closer to winning than the Eagles are right now, where they might push harder, and that's the case. If they give up a second, maybe they give up a play or two, maybe to make the money work. Because Atlanta has a good amount of cap space, but not a lot. They still have a lot of bad contracts there right now. Uh, 25th, yeah, they still got to get over the cap. So the Patriots might have to give up. When did Quinn Williams get drafted? It was 2019. 2019. He was the third overall pick. 2020, 2021, 2022. So they, he's on his fourth year. So the, yep. so the, the Jets are going to exercise his fifth-year option. So he's there for another two years. Mm-hmm. So... That's what they're saying right here. The Jets are going to exercise his fifth year option, so that's that's two more years, right? Which makes sense because it's not a Douglas pick either. He's going to want to evaluate it from his terms because obviously he was a great prospect in that draft. He was thought of as a top three, probably some people thought of him as number one overall. Yeah. So Douglas is going to have his evaluation of what they're going to want to do with it too because he doesn't want to get out of the big contracts either. So. Yeah, that that kind of thing could lead way for fringe. Now, the other thing too is what Quinn Williams will end up wanting. We haven't heard anything yet from him. Uh, well, he's not going to get a hundred million dollars playing like he played this year. No. The other thing is the injuries too. We'll have to see if he can stay healthy for a full season. And again, if the Jets get other edge he rushers to, to help him, he needs a he needs a season where he has thirteen sacks, 
or he's he's the, the Jets are the best run stopping defense in all of football. Yeah, at least start at least from a more realistic standpoint. Maybe start with eight or nine for. Well, a, if they get pass rushers, I think it'll open up holes for sure. Williams to dominate. Sure, from a contract stipulation standpoint, you just want to see growth in terms of getting to that level that he should be getting to. So eight or nine sacks is probably a realistic market. 13 is probably the best case scenario for somebody like that because we know he has the potential for it. So it's definitely possible. And in Salah's system, with if they get other depth to help in that kind of thing, we've yeah. seen interior guys strive. Now Sheldon Rankins will have to stay healthy as well. And they need to get some edge rushers, get some depth. And that means could possibly could they draft two of them too because they have all those second-round picks as well. They could trade back into the first round maybe to get another pass rusher. They could draft one that falls out of the first round in the second round we saw the bills do that with the two pass rushers they drafted last year that fell surprisingly the way they did and so i think the jets have that kind of scenario to pre- present itself with all the money that they have though too but joe douglas is going to put his mark on it more amari cooper is another name that really stands you know stands in the way of a lot of teams and and, and especially the cowboys but there are stories coming out of dallas that him and dak prescott don't get along and if that is the truth Amari Cooper don't want to be there anymore. I, I mean, obviously, C.D. Lamb is there. They're they're trying to possibly re-sign Gallup. Gallup is definitely a, a hot name and a hot commodity that could be available this offseason if a team is looking for a number one. I don't think he's a number one. He's a number two. They tried they tried to profile him when uh, C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper were hurt this year, and Gallup did not play well when he was the number one right. and when the number one cornerback was taking him out of the game. So... If you're a team right now, do you trust that you're going to pay Gallup big money or $70 million a year like, uh, you know, what's his name again, got from the Giants? Uh, Galladay. Galladay, where <laughs> he becomes a bust. I, I think Gallup is better than Galladay. So, I, I mean, you can't risk an opportunity or you give up on an opportunity to know that your team is putting themselves in a hole if you're – if you go after somebody like that. Yeah, the, his situation's a little trickier because of the contract. And even though he's still 27, it's still not the younger of Ridley and Metcalf that are right now in that same market value. Now, he's better at certain things skill-wise, but still, that contract is going to make it hard. It's going to limit the market where the Patriots won't be able to go after somebody like an Amari Cooper. The Eagles, who were interested at the time when Dallas traded for him, they still might, but they're probably leaning more of a younger receiver like a Ridley or a Metcalf, especially since they the have the name extra that draft really sticks. Stands out to me in free agency of the wide receivers is Allen Robinson. That's the guy that if you were the Jets or you're with a team like the Patriots, they're looking for that number one guy. That that guy can absolutely take your team to that next level at, at that wide receiver position. Allen Robinson's the guy. Now, he had a bad season this year, but look who the quarterback was. He was a rookie quarterback. He's played with back quarterbacks his whole career. Look at the offensive line. All right, the offensive line was horrible. Okay, this year one of the worst offensive lines in football, and and, and the weapons they had no running game. So obviously, well, the they have a running game, but the running game was hurt all season long. So they were depending on the throw, and they have a rookie quarterback throwing the ball. Allen Allen Robinson definitely didn't have a good season. If you were uh, a fantasy guy, you probably no. Say, Mooney was the guy for fantasy. He actually played well this year, but that was really it for the Bears to judge that. I mean, you can't blame Allen Robinson for the no. The thing that worries me a little bit, though, with the Jets, though, with Allen Robinson, is not necessarily the money, because I think it, that kind of deal is Douglas's perfect kind of thing. It's also the scheme fit, though, too. He's more of a possession, contested test, catch type guy. Now, we've seen bigger bodied guys in the 49ers scheme and the Jets scheme, and a little bit that we've seen of it with LaFleur, have some trouble so far. So that's the only thing that worries me when it comes to a, uh, a fit. 
because the money I think the Jets will be able to get a bargain on because he had a bad year and he's been injury prone in his career too. So I would take a chance in that. The trading white pieces for Calvin Ridley. No, 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 I'm not denying that. I don't mind the value in terms of the money standpoint. I just worry about the scheme fit of what it will end up being with Lafleur. Now Lafleur might have to evolve that kind of thing too. Maybe that's on him. Maybe he's got to realize, okay, maybe I have to get something that more bigger body guys could fit in because. The Jets have a lot of those motion-type players, as it is with Elijah Moore. With Barrios, if they do bring him back, he's that slot type. We'll see on that. But those guys have never strived in that type of offense. Are you willing – and Barrios is going to want $9 million a year. Are, are you willing to pay Barrios, who's a scheme fit? Yes, but yeah. is, he, is he worth – Nine million to pay. That's him. what's so tricky about that kind of thing because he's young too, so he does a. Does I don't two. think anybody gives him nine million dollars on the open market. Yeah, he'd have to be like a perfect scheme fit for that kind of thing to happen. I mean, maybe one of those special team oriented teams might do that kind of thing, like a team like the Ravens or something like that. But that probably would be the only one it, because he's a versatile like slot receiver, mm. running back type hybrid. That's a lesser version about of what a lot of these teams have now. So maybe from a modern system standpoint, maybe they try to take that kind of chance if you have the money, but it would only be a team that really prioritizes the special teams more that would do that. But again, that's what makes it tricky from the Jets standpoint, because the Jets have the money to make that kind of thing work, but they know they could also get better at the wide receiver position. If they do go after Allen Robinson, Chris Godwin's another name that's out there. That's a big name. Now he's coming off an injury too, which is scary, but he might, he's another guy. I don't think the Jets pay him a hundred million dollars. I don't yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I'm thinking the price tag is going to be very high for him still because he's young. Where you got a team like Miami that has more money. Not that the Jets don't have a lot of money, but the Chargers, the Jaguars, those are teams that all have a lot of money. I don't think the Chargers spend money. I think the Chargers just re-sign Williams. I think they'll be gone with that, done with that. I don't know that. about that because I think Williams is going to be looking elsewhere. I think that I think they like the connection with her, with Herbert. I think they really showed this season, so I think they'll keep him and then just. He's a guy that the Jets really like. I could see Williams going to the Jets. But again, he's another guy I worried is going to be not a scheme fit with that kind of offense. I think they did at the time with when Gase was there and they had that offensive coaching staff. Where it made a lot more sense. I don't know if a bigger body guy is what they're going to look at. That's why I think I think if the Jets don't want to pay him, Godwin is, could be an option. But if they, his price might fall because of his injury, too. Or Ridley, if they do trade for him, where they give up a third-round pick and Denzel Mims or something like that. I don't. Robinson would be a nice piece. How about uh, bringing back, uh, what's his name again, from Carolina? <laughs> Robbie Anderson. <laughs> I mean, he's been saying he wants to come and play here. Not again. surprising. <laughs> he, he liked his time with the Jets, but I don't know. He that, had a lot to say about the Jets because of Joe Douglas not giving him the extension. And then I mean, yeah. He had but, one good year. A football year, and then last year he had a right. Uh, it wasn't a bad year, but it wasn't. A great it, it was. Year. It wasn't a great year for consistency, and he only had I think three touchdowns or something like that. So I don't. I don't look at the touchdowns to be the end all. Be it's fluky. I know. You know, but uh, I, I think it depends on the scheme and how they use them. Mm-hmm. But Robbie Anderson didn't have the. He's been speaking highly of the Jets. That that's where he's. That's his number one priority. That's where he wants to go. He had five touchdowns last year. Okay. 519 yards. Was it a great year? No. 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 The year before that, he had 95 catches for 1,096 and three touchdowns. He actually had more touchdowns this year. Okay. But uh, he was a pro pro ball player the year before that. Yeah. So it's just weird for that kind of perspective to think because – the Carolina was he a Pro Bowl player? No, he wasn't a Pro Bowl player. But yeah, there's a lot of good receivers in the NFC. But he he could have been that kind of thing with maybe more touchdowns or a little no, more. Yards he wasn't a Pro thing. Bowl player. So even so, you worry about that kind of thing with 
the, the Panthers offense having very similar concepts to what the Jets have in terms of motion, in terms of rollout plays, in terms of lining up the receivers in the backfield a lot, because they do that a lot with DJ Moore, and they even did it a lot with Curtis Samuel when he was there. Now he's gone, obviously, in Washington. So bringing him that, back in that kind of thing makes sense, but is something you really want to experiment with again over somebody he's fresh getting, and new. He's not getting $10 million a year, especially off Not that now, house. no. I mean, if the Jets, if Joe Douglas takes a chance with him, he'd give him $5 million and he'd take it or leave it. But that's why I think Braxton Berrios is asking for a lot of money. I mean, the, I'd give Braxton 5 to 6 I'd give him $6 million. I, I mean, if, if give him six years, uh, $6 million for three years, uh, that's... That's about $18 million. Right. That's, I, I, that's what I would that give That would him. be ideal if you could try to negotiate that kind of thing. $9 million a year for a wide receiver. He's not even a full-time wide receiver. I mean, right. That's what's, tr- that's again, that's what's tricky because he's such a good scheme fit. But, he's yes, for an overall raw receiving talent, you know you could definitely upgrade there for that price. And especially with the receiving class that's available in this free agency where they can get an Allen Robinson, they could trade for a guy like a Calvin Ridley or something like that. Or they could, they could even trade, they could even trade for a second guy and maybe hope that Elijah Moore develops in it. They need depth in some way. The 49ers offensive scheme until this year when Debo Samuel broke out was never a scheme that had one standout receiver all the time. I mean, so Corey, maybe the Jets are trying to create that. Corey uh, Davis didn't have a bad year until he got hurt. I mean, Corey Davis was, was uh, what's his name again's number one target at the beginning, Zach Wilson, and yeah. then once Zach Wilson came back from the injury, he was prioritizing more other guys. Yeah, well, Corey Davis wasn't playing. I mean, Corey Davis had thirty-one receptions, four hundred ninety-two yards, four touchdowns. That's pretty good numbers. It's not bad. I also think though, too, but he's a number two. I also think though, too, one he devolved in other areas where he had a lot of drop problems, which was uncharacteristic for him. Because in Tennessee, his problem was he didn't have a great raw speed and he wasn't a great route runner, but he was always good with possession. And his touchdowns, yeah, he had four of them, okay. I guess that's serviceable. But I also think the Zach Wilson's complete game got better once off the injury when he was targeting other guys more. It seemed like he was more force-feeding Corey Davis, and that's how he got those numbers. Mm. So I think from a team offensive perspective, you still have to prioritize the more and Barrios-type Thing that worked for them in the second, in the last two months of the season, that helped kept them competitive in certain games, and Zach Wilson has some of his best performances in those games. Mm. It's going to be very, very interesting, uh, especially with the combine. Looking forward to the combine because, you know, it, it just keeps football in your mind for you know obviously the draft and free agency. So it'll be fun to watch. And the Jets, the Jets are going to have to really judge the combine for the tiebreakers among certain pass rushers, especially, and also receivers too. If they do end up drafting a receiver, because that's the other scenario that. Wasn't presented yet. They could draft a receiver trading back from the first round or even the I've second been round. They really like Drake London. Yes, so. who I who I have as my wide receiver too. I think he's very talented. We'll see off the injury how he how he does. But six foot five, raw speed. Yeah, great hands. I mean, he's everything you want. What a wide receiver. I mean, I mean size. How, how many corners could defend him? I mean, yeah, with his. Right. With his length, I mean, he's going to be hard to stop with the speed and the ability that he has. Yeah, he could be a he could be a handful on a football field. The other thing too is yards after the catch too. He's good with, which is something that is emphasized a lot with the Kyle Shanahan type offense that Michael Lafleur is trying to bring there. So if he's good even with that, like you saw Jamar Chase in certain instances with the Bengals last year, like some of his best usage was after the catch on a slant pattern. Not always those tough catches. Now I'm not saying Drake London will be as good as Jamar Chase. I I don't think that at all. But in terms of he's a lot. Better. Bigger than Jamar Chase. He is. I in terms of five inches bigger. In terms of what he could be used as, though, you're seeing some of these bigger body guys if they can get open quickly. Also want to see how he runs the, the combine, too. Because yeah. his speed with his size could be 
absolutely sensational. Right. I mean, you're talking about a six foot five that can run a four four, four four three point eight or something, yep. four three eight. I mean, you're you're talking about a guy that you definitely want on your team because he he could play tight end. He could play. He could be a big wide receiver that could play multiple positions. You could do a lot with a guy like with that size, and he'll be a nightmare to defend right. because uh, you have a guy that can run run a wide receiver four three, but is as big as a tight end in this league. And, and, and has great hands. I mean, how are you going to stop somebody like that? That's what I was saying. Tiebreakers are going to be very key in certain positions, especially wide receiver, because a lot of the offensive skill players are there's not an obvious standout number one. Like you, you could tell last year, the receivers. All right, Jamar Chase is the best one. And then it's Smith or Waddle. Take your pick, and then it's everybody else. Is what a lot of draft analysts were thinking last year. Same thing with the quarterbacks. Lawrence Wilson and Fields were probably one, two, three for a lot of people, or Fields Wilson, whatever order you wanted to go in. And then it was a drop off. Like there's not that consensus guy. That's why these tiebreakers are going to be very crucial. If Traylon Burks runs a four four two and Drake London runs a four three five, that might help in terms of his stock over Burks. Same thing with Garrett Wilson and David Bell and guys like that that are right in that same range where those receivers are going to be very tricky to judge and deciphering those kind of things is the thing. Same thing with the pass rushers too. If a guy that's thought of as a power rusher is faster than people think or the other way around, a speed rusher is stronger than people think, their stock's going to go up too. That's where the fringe of outside of the top two pass rushers, the Carl Loftuses, the David Ojabos, guys like that, Jermaine Johnson that's now getting a lot of uh, talk, Trayvon Walker from Georgia, another one too. And the Jets should definitely be swooping on that kind of thing too, especially if they don't go with a pass rusher at four. It's going to be very, very interesting, especially watching these guys and, and this particular guy, Drake London, run the combine uh, tomorrow. I, I'm interested to see what this guy runs mm-hmm. his his forty because he, he could absolutely move up in the draft, especially if he runs his forty. He's coming off an injury, a uh, significant injury. I think right. what, what was that? Yeah, he um, he, he tore his Achilles, his Achilles. The, uh, in the second. I think the second month of the college season or something like that. It, it, Which is it's a huge injury. Now the timing of it, luckily, is not as bad as somebody like for Jamison Williams doing in the national championship game, where he's had a good amount of recovery time. Now he'll still be a first round. He'll pick. still be a first round pick. And I think no, I think London's a little a, a little more talented all around than Williams, and Williams is the speed that a lot of teams like too. So it'll definitely be interesting where that ends up going. Now Williams obviously won't be in the combine because of the injury mm-hmm. happening so suddenly only a couple months ago with the with the national championship game. But still, he's still going to be thought of as that first round commodity. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe a team like the Chiefs end up getting him because they love all the speed guys for whatever reason. Who knows? But could you imagine that they get Williams? I could see it though too because of of his injury. Maybe his stock falls. I, hopefully a team maybe leapfrogs the Chiefs and right. All right, if he doesn't go there, the Chiefs will get him type thing. Maybe he'll look that I kind see of move. That. I can see that happening. I absolutely can see that happening. He's a better version of the number two receivers they think they have over there. Look, your Rangers won. They beat the Blues. Hey. Well, time. Kreider has his 35th goal this year. I'm telling you, Chris Kreider scores 50 goals this year, which quite possibly could happen. You trade him in the offseason. I, I don't know why Ranger fans would sit there and say, let's keep him. Let's do this. Let's. You're, you're, you got him at your highest point. You can get a significant amount back for him. Why wouldn't you trade him? It would be stupid for the Rangers. Anyways. It would depend on where, how far they go in the playoffs, too, though, because if he's a big part of why they do well or better than expected in the playoffs, they might keep him as a leader type thing. So teams overperform, underperform in hockey. It's a, it's a playoffs that is chaotic for a reason. You never know where it's going to go. And 
for that reason, they might just explore that. But if they're just do as everything as norm and he still scores 50 goals and they're still out in round one or they fall to a wild card spot or whatever, yeah, you could definitely. They're not going to fall in a wild card spot. I don't think they will now, but I don't know what happened to Washington there. Oh, God. They've fallen off. Wow. (laughs) Eight points the Rangers have on Washington now? Wow. Three straight losses for the Capitals, too. Yeah, well, it don't matter. It all it all matters in the playoffs and what you do in the playoffs. Yes, because Washington's very trustworthy in the playoffs. But obviously, Gallant has done a lot for uh, uh, the Rangers, and uh, he's done what Barry Trotz did for the Islanders the first year, and hopefully the Rangers can move into the playoffs and, and make a run in the playoffs. Yeah, I right know. now they play Pittsburgh, which I prefer over Carolina, so... <laughs> Yeah, hopefully it stays that way. The uh, the Hurricanes now five points ahead. Yeah, with two Pittsburgh, games in hand. Too. Pittsburgh's very very good against the Rangers in the playoffs. It's I, kind I, of a mixed bag though. The Rangers had him early, then the Penguins had him recently. It, it, the the Penguins usually a lot of times when they had the better teams lost to the Rangers and vice versa. It's kind of weird the way it's worked out. So it's kind of a mixed bag. But the Penguins don't have the same depth that they used to anymore because they are in salary hell. So I think the Rangers could beat them. And we've seen the the Penguins really get exposed in the playoffs outside of their their two cup runs. Kind of after that, they really haven't been the same. I think their only playoff series win, if I remember correctly, was against the Capitals. Mm. When we come back, uh, I want to get into this baseball strike. Uh, We'll talk about what everything's going on and what we think of Rob Manford moving forward. And why I think in 2024 they should be thinking on bringing in Theo Epstein as the commissioner of this league. Because to me, uh, there was only one reason why he didn't take that match job. It was only one reason why he hasn't taken any job where he's been offered practically every single job in the major league since he's uh, left the Cubs. Uh, I think there's a reason why. And I think uh, 2024 can't come any quicker. And if it does, I think the one of the smartest people in all of baseball should be uh, offered this job and, and get this this idiot out of office. Uh, when we come back, we'll get into that here on the Sports Lab Mouths. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loud Mouths. www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app. Like on iOS, WWSRN or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Mm, interesting. What a beat, Speedy. What made you pick that beat? It's a, it's, I found it kind of cool. It's a fusion of house music and uh, Hollywood Undead is the other one. Uh, you should have played metal. that for, uh, what's her name again? Uh, Zoe Yeoman. Well, she was the second guest. We would have had a break before that. Well, that would have been good for her. You know, you wanted something to like, you know, kind of ease her in. That would have been interesting. Her bobbing her head. She had a really good time. Yes, she did. She really did. Uh, very interesting lady. And uh, if she's looking to make a movie, why not, uh, you know, having me star in the role. I didn't get it in during the interview, but to answer her question about how many marriages George Foreman had, I was one off. I said four. It was actually five. There you go. So she didn't know, and either did you. So I, I'm surprised I was that close, though, because I don't know. I don't really know celebrity He's got, like, marriage like nine well. kids with the name George. I mean, like, Good, seriously. he's only eight. Uh, he's and his a- daughter's <laughs> name is Georgina. Good, he's halfway like, to Philip Rivers. It's great. No, but, but he didn't. Wait a second. Philip Rivers, like half his kids are adopted. 
That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, he had those kids. All right. Philip Rivers, I think, had four kids, and the rest of them are adopted. You want to know something? If you you watch the 30, I think it was 30 for 30 or something that they did on Philip Rivers, um, E60, Philip Rivers and his wife are sensational people, great people. Because if you see the story behind the adoption and stuff like that, it is an amazing story. How good of a man and how good of a person Philip Rivers is to to bring in people, you know, and kids that he, you know, he raised people that needed families and he took them in like they were his own. It's it's an amazing story. You can say whatever you want about him on the field, how big of an ass he is, and whatever the hell he done, and how many how many players we've heard say that Philip Rivers has the biggest mouth on the football <laughs> field. Okay, but all in all. Philip Rivers is a good person, good-hearted person to take in, you know, four or five innocent kids and, and raise them like they're his own. It's, it's an amazing story. It really is. And you have to give him a lot of credit. Him and his wife, two very special people. Yeah, Sean Merriman even said he was the biggest trash talker among even, like, the receivers, the corners, the defensive linemen. Positions you expect to be more trash talker. No, on that team, it was Philip Rivers. Could you imagine Philip Rivers at the line of scrimmage and you're you're the defensive lineman and he's going – Break one or two, your mom's a hoe. Break number two, you know, they're like saying all these stupid things to the other. Well, now we know what you would say if you were an NFL quarterback. Oh, are you kidding me? I'd be, they'd want to rip my head off for the things I would say at the line of scrimmage. Oh, man, I, I'd be the, I would be the, the quilted pick a pick a rubber. You know, remember that? You know that commercial? You ever yeah, seen that? I've heard it before. Yeah, that's it. I'm gonna be like, oh, wait, wait. break me off a piece of that Kit Kat bar. Oh. <laughs> Anyways, uh, no singing for me. I'm horrible. Uh, let, let's get into this whole your strike or whatever the hell you want to call it. Speaking of horrible, I, I, I mean, I mean, the story's coming out now. Is that that baseball knew that by Monday, if they didn't get this, you know, agreement, CBA agreement uh, concluded, that they were going to miss games for the baseball season. I mean, Rob Manford knew this. Uh, the owners knew this. Why this couldn't have been negotiated? Remember, there was like three weeks that these organizations weren't even talking. Right. I mean, like seriously, three weeks that they weren't even speaking to one another. Now all of a sudden. But the last week before you miss some games, you're all of a sudden speaking and you're trying to negotiate this deal and trying to negotiate that deal. And they agree to this and they agree to that. I mean, honestly, Rob Manford has no idea what he's doing. He really doesn't. And to me, where baseball it used to be America's game, it used to be the number one sport in America. It has completely fallen off really since Bud Selig uh, you know, in the steroid thing, and Bud Selig didn't take responsibility for it. Uh, I mean, baseball was saved with the whole steroid thing with McGuire and Sosa and all that other stuff. And then all of a sudden, uh, baseball was finally picking up steam. And then this whole, you know, steroids and politicians got involved with it. Paul Melro and Roger Clemens, everything started falling off. And that was when football was really growing into uh, America's sport. And now it's it's going to be very, very hard for baseball to even get back to that position. 
Right now, if you were to ask me who, which is second, it would be basketball. Yeah, and probably by a pretty big margin too. Like I even said, like uh, like ten years ago when I was in high school, I was thinking I was going to say basketball surpassed baseball by a little bit in two years or so. It surpassed it insurmountably. I would even say, I would even say college football is probably more popular too now than baseball. They're loved by at least the younger crowd. I would say watch watch a lot more college football than they do baseball too. Now regional dependent, obviously, but still. It, Baseball's falling to where there are only certain fan bases go. It's a region. It's certain regions have to be passionate with that. You have a bad fusion, I guess, between tra- uh, traditional fans and. There's a reason why. I mean, single A, double A, triple A. These guys never get an opportunity to get into the major leagues, and it's great that they have the minor leagues where you could continue playing. Uh, but they're not getting paid, uh, and this is. This is the problem right now, and that's what this, you know, the players' union is trying to figure out where these players could start making some kind of real money, where they could stay there for ten years and actually support a family when they're done retiring from baseball. I mean, come on, I mean, people get lost in you know playing in the Ducks League or something like that. And there's plenty of other independent leagues too that end up maybe getting small chances of recruiting those talent, but still, it's still hard to find them just because there's also leagues in other countries too that are going to be prioritized first over independent leagues and minor leagues now again college baseball will still have their drafts and stuff like that and they'll still have good high school players or whatever but you're also talking about these minor league journeymen that aren't going to get that same kind of luxury either and they're getting paid nothing and now they want to get it up to finally in the 600,000 range for these minor league players and the minimum contracts for players just being called up to be in the $700,000 range and Ron Manford doesn't even want that and it seems like he doesn't even know what he's referring to with a lot of these minor league teams either now I know they switch organizations a lot of the time but still it's not something that you could just say all right we're not going to have any more of these anyway players have to be developed in baseball that's how all these top prospects come out to be they're not just great overnight they're not just great at 16 years old yeah and that's what makes me lost about this whole strike in this whole lockout. Now, I obviously believe that these players should be making some kind of money and especially these arbitrating rules that they have that you got to wait like 5 6 years before you become yep, arbitrated. Six years. And, and and then obviously you got to wait another year after that before you become a free agent. I mean, by the time you become a free agent, you're 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 28, 29 years old and you're at the tail end of your career really because how many years do you have left at the top of your game? I mean, you're not not everybody's Mike Trout, not everybody's Alex Rodriguez, right. not everybody's Derek Jeter. I mean, the best players in the world they 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 play twenty years and they're still at the top of the game. If you're a mediocre player, your best your best years are the first eight seven years. And if you're not making that money, what are you making? You're making diddly squat, and that's why you go down to the minors. That's why you go to back to AAA, and you keep getting called up, get keep being sent down. I mean, Brett Garner. Brett Garner didn't become a professional baseball player until he was like 28 years old. Mm-hmm. 28. Same with Jacob Degrom. I mean, Jacob Degrom is one of the best pitchers in baseball. Yeah, but it took a while for him to come up. Yeah. He came up at 27, 26, 27. I think he turned 27 that season. So I mean, these players uh, at the, the top of their games and the talent that they are, they should be making money right off the bat. I mean, uh, honestly, but. And, and and baseball money is guaranteed, and there's no salary cap in baseball. Yes, obviously you got to stay under a certain total where you're not getting taxed, but I mean you could do anything, and that's why you know you look at football. If if, if could you imagine if baseball, if football was like baseball? Do you know you know would be spending the most money? The Cowboys, oh, of course. You know the Cowboys. Jerry Jones would make sure he gets everybody he possibly wants. 
and I make sure that those. He'll build a super team just to lose to the second round of the playoffs. I mean, seriously, when you, you talk about money and money talks, I mean, it, it's crazy the way baseball just is sitting, and it'll never be a salary cap because baseball will never uh, the CBA and the rules will never agree to it. Not only that, there baseball has a big disparity among the richest owners versus the lesser owners that don't have as much or newer owners that maybe just bought the teams or something like that. Now it's not necessarily based on team payroll or market necessarily because for example, the pirates are a very rich owner, an ownership group, but they barely spend any money because they're a small market team. That's terrible right now. It's also more of the richest owners versus the bottom half owners having a big difference where it's tough to come together and have that kind of salary cap because those top owners are never going to stand for it too. The bigger problem too is also the, they they call it competitive balance, but also the disparity of teams spending aggressively versus not spending aggressively. Because we always see at the time, oh, how did the Dodgers get this player when he wasn't when they're so close to the salary or the luxury tax that they still end up getting Max Scherzer, for example, the trade deadline when these other teams wouldn't swoop in or the other teams wouldn't make that kind of trade. And the same kind of thing in free agency too, where they sp- spend in spurts now, and that's the thing that's hurting the most these veteran players. You were just saying how many good years left with twenty nine years. Years old for a lot of these free agents, especially positions that aren't as prioritized, like a, catch, a catcher is. Aaron but. Judge is going to be thirty this year. He, he's got another year before he gets his big money, mm-hmm. and so he'll be thirty-one years old. He's going to be the biggest money. one hurt. Corner outfielders because they're not valued as much because now all these infielders are learning how to play corner outfield and vice versa. Where in a versatile game of baseball, shortstops are going to get a lot still. Center fielders will get a lot, too, if they're still young and in their prime. But if they're not, if you're, even if they're 29, 30 years old, they're not going to get any more, too. Maybe certain catchers, just because catchers are hard to find. And then the rest of the money will really go to pitchers and maybe some of the top hitters mm-hmm. that might be DH types. Will, uh, that'll be where most of the money goes. But teams are trying to avoid what caught these contracts that were given out of the past to these veteran players. Albert Pujols getting signed with the Angels for all he did. Miguel Cabrera, not his first contract, but his second contract with the Tigers, which is, I think they still have to pay one more year or something like that left, which is crazy. So they're trying to, teams are trying to avoid contracts like that, and that's the bigger problem with the payroll disparity. Rob Manfred thinking it's more of the competitive balance. No, teams can spend money, but choose not to because they want to avoid those kinds of contracts, and if teams are bad, they're not going to spend that kind of money. They need to make it where they can make it more of a balance among the rosters, and that's a big problem. How about uh, Derek Jeter stepping down as the CEO of the Marlins? I was shocked the other day when I heard this. Absolutely shocked. I understand being a CEO or the head executive of an organization, it takes a lot out of you. He's been there for four years, uh, five, almost five years, and He's transformed this team. He's made. Uh, he he's traded away players, and he he's actually had pretty good drafts. He's brought in some good young players. This team is a rising organization that's growing. And I mean, when you trade a guy like John Carlos Stanton, they traded uh, the kid from Milwaukee, Yelich, Yelich, and then the the kid from St. Ozuna, Louis, Ozuna. Yeah, uh, they traded away Real all, Muto. Yeah, Muto. what goes on? They traded away all these great players, and 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 really has rebuilt this team into a. a, a a good young team that's still rebuilding and rebooting. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, just steps down as the CEO and, and runner of this organization. I mean, I don't know what the truth is. Now, maybe it's the pressure. Maybe it's the pressure. Remember, this guy has been a winner everywhere he's gone. Everywhere, from high school to you know, he was going to go play for Michigan and then decided to go play for the Yankees. Then in 96, is really his first full year, he wins a championship. Yep. And he went on this unbelievable 
wheel of uh, you know greatness, and he's going he's going to go down as one of the top three shortstops to ever play the game. And, and you look at who he is as a player. He just won, 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 and then he goes to the Marlins, and he's just lose, lose, lose. And I, maybe it's the pressure. Maybe the fact that. Uh, you know, it's taking away his family life with his two daughters. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what the truth is. And I don't think anybody's going to know because Derek Jeter's not going to come out and say it. The guy's always kept it to himself. Anything that he's ever done, family life and, you know, anything. He, he's never told anybody his, you know, his his business. Right. But, I mean, when you when you hear this story, I mean, what did you think when you heard Derek Jeter stepping down as the CEO and lead shareholder of this Marlins. I was surprised from a personal standpoint that he did that. I know he didn't fully buy it. There were two other guys involved in that deal, but he's still, I'm surprised that he wasn't wanting to stay in the game because it seems like they, he was sticking with a model that he, he, he destroyed everything all at once, trading everybody all at once. That was his philosophy. Then they were building up to another extreme. They win a playoff series in the pandemic shortened year. They swept, uh, they swept or won three out of four against the Cubs. The Cubs ended up trading off all their pieces because of that. How could we lose to a team as bad as the Marlins? And this year they had some pretty good pitchers. <laughs> good young pitching staff that are going to be trade chips potentially again where they're going to have to just recycling players. But the Marlins are in a, st- a tough spot too just because they're one of those teams that are considered that low market where – Rob Manfred claims, oh, they don't spend money because they don't have money. Well, yeah, their fans don't go to the game, sure. But we also saw them, before they built their new ballpark, go to the other extreme where they were signing Jose Reyes. They just gave Hanley Ramirez a big contract. They signed Mark Burley, all those guys, to big money. And that obviously didn't work. But we've still them, we've seen them spend, though, too. Maybe Derek Jeter wanted that. Maybe he wanted some freedom to spend that maybe Jeffrey Loria didn't or vice versa. Maybe Derek Jeter wanted to be more of a homegrown type team and trade all these guys. He, he only has four. He only owns 4% of the Marlins. Mm-hmm. That's what it says over here. So does he trade away? Does he give away his 4% ownership? I mean, yeah. he was the CEO. I, I mean, Bruce Sherman owns the majority. He's the controlling owner of the organization. Um, maybe he had a problem with Sherman. Maybe Sherman wanted him, expected him to do more in this amount of time. I, I, I don't know. But uh, he brought a lot of Yankees in to the organization. Right. He, he, he pretty much wanted to build the the culture around there like the Yankees did. Uh, and then he steps away where, you know, I, listen, I, all we know is the Marlins could win a championship next year and Derek Jeter won't get any credit for it. I, I mean, seriously. But now uh, 4%, does he sell away that 4%? Now there are stories coming out that the, the ESPN reportedly wants to hire Derek Jeter to fill in for, obviously, Alex Rodriguez, who is now moving with the Yankees at the S yes Network. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I mean, it, it's silly, but. Maybe that's what Derek Jeter was seeing. Maybe he, he see it to make more money or be more of a an analyst, a broadcaster. Yeah, I can't. His, yeah. I can't see him as a broadcaster. I really. Yeah, can't. he seems a little dry to be a broadcaster. Yeah. Maybe a studio analyst, but not. Uh, yeah, a broadcaster. He doesn't really seem like that lively type. He was always more humble. He was always more like professionally spoken. Not really the outgoing type like you see a lot of these other former players. Now, I can't see him like that. Yeah. Now, baseball, granted, a lot of their color commentators, a lot of the former players that are analysts now don't have that pizzazz like you see in football a lot of the time, or especially in basketball where they have those player-only broadcasts and on NBA TV. But, yeah, maybe Derek Jeter just wants another endeavor. Maybe he tried as an executive and he didn't feel like it was going to work. Again, the Marlins really don't present a great circumstance for him as it is. They had a good team, but, again, he decided to – dishevel it and try to build his own model and now all of a sudden maybe with these new stipulations in place now maybe something with ownership who knows that maybe he felt like it was just too 
tough of a burden for him. And again, it's a tough division. The National League East, maybe he was thinking that too. The Braves are won the World Series. Then. I don't think he was worried about that. I just think it was a lot of pressure on him and uh, the team's success has not been, you know, five years. He probably thought the team to be in a better position. I mean, they made the playoffs the year before that. Yeah, this pandemic year. The pandemic year. They won a series. They beat the Cubs. And he thought that that, that this year was going to be a better year where they can actually make the play, make the playoffs in a in a full year. And they just didn't. They died down at the end of the season. Maybe it was just a lot of pressure on him, and he just didn't want to deal with it anymore. Maybe he just wants to be – he doesn't want to be a part of the game like that anymore. Well, you're also seeing, too, now teams having to rise from really low to get good in baseball. A lot of the times, too, you don't see a lot of these teams just stay average for a while and then all of a sudden get good. Not every team could be a team like the Cardinals that like gets consistently good for a while. A lot of the teams that rose look at the look at the Cubs. I'll just use the Cubs as an example. They had to re- trade away pretty much everything from their late two thousands team, the early twenty tens that were had some pretty good teams when Dusty Baker was there managing all those guys. Those that seems Derek Lee and Aramis Ramirez, those guys. They had to trade all those all those away, and they then they just got young all at once, and then they built their core from a lot of the trades all at once. But they had to start very low. I know say what you want about the Astros with this whole cheating scandal, but they did the same kind of thing. They purged assets and they were young all at once where they were god awful for like five straight years. And then all of a sudden, obviously they cheated, but they still ended up putting a good product on the field even in the years they didn't cheat. And teams are going to have that kind of mold to build up that kind of way. And especially the lower market team. So maybe he didn't want to be a part of that either, where he had to go to low extremes in order to get it done. I think when you look at the big picture, Derek Jeter, say whatever you want. He was a successful baseball player, uh, one of the greatest at his position. But uh, as an owner or as a CEO or whatever the hell they call him over there, the executive leader over there for the Marlins, I think he's failed. I mean, he he traded away top pieces. I mean, could you imagine if all those players were still playing with the Marlins? They couldn't afford them. Here's the other funnier part, too. They they traded away... Marcelo Zuna to the Cardinals. They get three of the best players at their positions throughout the whole league. You can't tell me John Carlos Stanton isn't one of the best power hitters in baseball. Yelich won an MVP and probably would have won another if he didn't get hurt. Yelich is one of the best outfielders in his position at his position in the league. I mean, Azuna when he went healthy and not doing stupid things on and off the field, inconsistent year to year, but still pretty good. Yeah, and Real Muto is the best catcher in baseball. Yeah, (laughs) this is what I was getting at. Though this is the funny part of why it looks bad of what he's trying to do. Marcelo Zuna, the top prospect he got in that deal was Zach Gallen. Zach Gallen was a good pitcher, played a little bit for the Marlins. Then he gets traded to the Diamondbacks that very next season. And he did, did he's done well since then with the Diamondbacks, too. So you're trying to trade to build a young team, and then you just trade away that same piece. What did you get for him from Arizona? I don't even remember. It wasn't anything of a significance. And Gallen's been a very good young pitcher in Arizona. So he had a little bit of a down year this year because he was coming back from a lot of injuries in the beginning of the season. But pitched well in the second half on what was a really bad team there. But still, he for most of that time he's pitched there. He's pitched very well. Probably similar to what a lot of the Marlins pitchers are getting were getting last year. But still, you don't just trade a piece like that right away. It's crazy. It's, it's hypocritical, crazy. is what it is. And when you look at Derek Jeter, I mean, if you were to say, you know, tomorrow, well, what do you think of him as an owner slash executive GM of a team? I'd say he failed. I think he is failed. I think he knows he failed. Of course. Um, and I think that's why he, he. I don't think he can handle, handle failure. And I think the reason why he decided to step away was either family life, which could be. I mean, a Hannah Hannah Davis, uh, Hannah Jeter. 
um, had his second daughter, I think, a couple, like two years ago. His daughters are very young. He's you remember he he became a father later in his life. I mean, he became a father at the age of forty two. You know what I mean? He was baseball. He finished baseball at the age I think forty. I think he was forty. Twenty fourteen was his last year. So yeah, that sounds about right. I think he was forty. I mean, I I think he he became a father at forty one, forty two years old. Like I'm I'm gonna be forty this year. I expect to be a father sometime about forty one, forty two too. So I, I mean. He was a late bloomer. He didn't want to be a father until his career was over. Right. So, and now he he's got a chance to you know raise his daughters, and he's not in his daughters' lives because he's around baseball. And I, I, I could see ESPN hiring him, Fox hiring the him name, yeah, because of who he is and and what he's all about, and he's the face of New York baseball. And even when I met him, he didn't. Did he seem dry? Because I really don't see him. Not as... dry. I just think. Uh, he he just seemed like I, I know. Uh, as a Yankee fan, he doesn't represent the Yankees as what you expect a player to represent them. Like Alex Rodriguez, <laughs> Alex, if you say anything about the Yankees around him, he'll he'll stick up for the Yankees. Oh, of course, whether he, it's realistic or not, he will stick up for the Yankees no matter what. Okay, it, it, Derek Jeter would not. Derek Jeter would not. He, he would necessarily throw them under the bus if he needed to. It, it, it's it's crazy when he was the captain of the team for almost twenty years. Um, it really is. But you wonder if it's something maybe with ownership related. So it might not just who be knows? the players. Who knows? I, it doesn't make any the sense. The Yankees have always. Why had would you, Why would you hire all these Yankee you know executives to come and work for you at the Marlins if if that was the case? Maybe a steal them. I don't know. Maybe you take it. They are Brian Castro. You Which can't now you them. left them hanging. Now yeah. you left them hanging. You brought him in, and you left him hanging. What's the girl that Kim Lee, Ng? Yeah. Kim Ng, who now takes over his role right now as the, I guess, the GM CEO. I think he, she was president, of, uh, president or assistant president of baseball operations, or something like that. Now she takes over his position. He steps down. Whatever. I, if I was her, I would be pissed off. I mean, again, the Marlins are always a tough position to begin with, as it is. But, yeah, that definitely doesn't look good. Now, the Marlins— That wouldn't piss you off? Yeah, the Marlins are stuck in a, a, a weird circumstance of extremes. You were with so. the best organization in professional sports, the Yankees. You've been there your whole life. Now, yes, you're getting a higher position. You're probably making a little bit more money. Great. You leave the Yankees to go to the Marlins to work for Derek Jeter. And then a year in your role at the position— he steps down and leaves the leaves the Marlins and is willing to trade off his shares. What would you say if you were you were her? I wouldn't be happy. I would be pretty pissed off. I don't care what she says or anybody says. I would love to hear you know what uh, if I was to fly on the wall with the Marlins. I would love to hear what she was thinking when she heard Derek Jeter was stepping down. I'm sure he reached out to her and told her face to you know either on the phone or face to face what he was planning to do. But if I was her, I wouldn't be happy. Flies on the wall. There are more of them at Marlins Park than there are fans. <laughs> well, you know what? More maybe they're just laying off the shit that. Uh, you know, the Philadelphia fans were eating on the... <laughs> oh. Well, yeah, there, there could always be that, so. Thinking of another, another team in an extreme direction, the Phillies love to do that, too. Spend yeah. spend money for no reason, and then uh, now they have no pitching outside of there, Nolan, Zach Wheeler. So, yeah, they, have fun with that. They trade for Carlson Wentz and let him go. and Trade him for nothing. 
Yeah, in, in in their defense, they've done other like good. Well, they moves got a first round draft so. pick. For yeah, them, they too. they've done other good moves too. The Phillies really haven't done any of those like gem moves like we've seen the Eagles do though. So, but going back to the Marlins though, they're just in a tough spot though where that just landing spot and their the, the position that they're in just being not only a low market team to begin with but a team that's in a rebuilding mode. I mean, if they're if this if Kim Ng wants any chance to succeed, one they're gonna have to let her spend some money. Jeffrey Loria, who's never been the brightest as an owner anyway, or two maybe they'll have to move. Maybe they have to think about expansion because clearly the fans don't work there. Mm-hmm. I guess Miami will help to get players. Maybe the if they change the rules with Cuba, if like the political tensions die out and maybe they get a more unionship there. Yep. Maybe that helps. But beyond that, we're not really not striving anything with Miami being there. You haven't made the playoffs since 2003. Mm. I mean, except for the pandemic year. Okay. But spank a monkey. Juju. You like that? What was spanking, that? You don't like spanking a monkey. What was the second part? Juju B. What? Uh, a juju bean. Oh, bean. <laughs> Yeah, what's wrong with a juju bean? Uh, I guess it's better than spanking a monkey. Well, why? What's wrong with spanking a monkey? Why would I want to harm a monkey? <laughs> what did monkeys ever do to you that you want to spank them? Oh, you did know, you get attacked by one as a kid? <laughs> no, but what, what makes you think that a monkey shouldn't be spanked? What makes you think a monkey should be harmed? Well, what makes him harmed if you're spanking one? Because you don't know where they're sensitive. Oh, but you do. I don't, but I don't want to take that chance. You want to take the chance. You know how vicious a monkey could be? Exactly. <laughs> so why would I want to trigger it? Yeah, well, because a monkey, you know, he could, you know, rely in your pants. So what's the benefit of that? <laughs> what do you mean, what's the benefit of why would I want? Why would I want a monkey to com- compre- compress itself in my pants? Potentially. How do you know there's not a monkey in your pants right now? I would hear it. Really? Unless it was Does drugged it or dead. Does it talk to you? No. Does your monkey I don't know how to train to monkeys. Does your monkey talk to you? I don't have a monkey. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to train monkeys. So you don't know where the monkey is or where it lies, but you... I don't have a monkey. So the monkey's not in your pants? No. <laughs> monkeys swing from vines. They live in... They the... swing from other things, too. They, yes, they live in those types of... But you have hair in your pants, too, right? What? That has no correlation. Well, that, you can make them into vines, right? If I pulled out a hair follicle, I doubt a monkey would be able to attach itself to it. <laughs> and please do not recommend me pulling out a hair follicle. It's, it's one of the things that I hated as a kid. <laughs> well, 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 hold on one second. What do you mean you hated Pull out, Pulling out hair follicles? Yeah. You, you, I, I hated it. It stung and it hurt really badly. Well, hold, hold on. Who, who told you to pull out hair follicles? My mother had to do it for some kind of identification thing when I was a kid. <laughs> I forget why, but like people are like kids are always afraid of like getting shots at the doctor and stuff hold like on. that. Hold on. So your mom. I always to, hated that more. So your mom told you to, to, to go in your no, pants? No, she did it for. No, not my pants. My head hair, not my pants. <laughs> But I wouldn't want to try to pull it out, is my point. Why not? Because it's painful. <laughs> oh, man. You're pulling out a single individual hair to get a DNA sample of whatever she was trying for at the time. This was like 2006 yeah, or you something. You could get a DNA sample right between your legs, right? I suppose, but again, it wouldn't be the most effective. What? Well, it's just as good as the the one on your top of your head. 
Okay. Or you should. Sure, I guess. I mean, yeah, you can get it anywhere. You could get it from so my what, saliva. What, what's the difference? So what's wrong with pulling one off between your legs? It's just very specific and probably less efficient. Do you have a lot of hair between your legs? Why would that matter? It would because – You get a skin sample. A skin sample? So you're going to cut a piece of skin off your no, body? No, it could come off if it sheds or something like that. Well, do you shed? It's happened before. All right. I'm just asking you. I mean, you might as well... I'm just saying, if you're going for a DNA sample, there's a more efficient way to do it. Is there more black or grays between your legs? What? Well. <laughs> All right. Now you're implying I'm either have gray hairs or I have paint inside of me. <laughs> Which, um... I don't have either one of them. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's it for our show. Uh, we will talk a little basketball tomorrow. I'm sure uh, fans didn't really care that we didn't get much into it, but uh, uh, we will get into this, uh, you know, basketball situation. I think there's 25, 24 games left of the basketball season. There's not many games left. Um, the Knicks look horrible, so uh, I expect them to lose even more games. But as much as they're losing games, the other teams behind them aren't, aren't winning games either. So it doesn't really help their position. So I mean, the lottery is going to be a crapshoot as it is. Yeah, but and you the Knicks to... usually don't get lucky. Yeah, well, uh, hopefully it'll be one of their lucky years where they can. Maybe move. they'll rake it just for LeBron's son or something like that. The way the NBA loves to do. Things. I don't want LeBron's son. I didn't say you should. I'm just saying. I'm just I don't saying, want. Who knows? Maybe that's the scenario. The guy averages LeBron's son averages six points a game in high school. Six points a game, and he's getting recruited by three of the top schools in the whole country, okay? Just think about it this way. He's averaging six points, four assists, and I think like three rebounds. And he is a high-profiled prospect that is going to be recruited by Duke, Kansas, and I, I forget the Kentucky other Kentucky was one, too, And I Kentucky. Believe. Now, Kentucky, you're going to have a lot more stinginess of getting playing time. I'm not, I'm not sure about Kansas because they're really more of a top-heavy team. They're that they last couple of years haven't had a lot of depth. Duke, we'll see with Carl's boy John Shire how his coaching style will be. <laughs> Who I know you're not a big fan of. Nope, I, it doesn't make any sense. But uh, he's a top, supposedly a top. Uh, Priority to all three of those teams that I just mentioned. So we'll I see. mean, we'll see as if, as if it's a namesake or actually they think he could be a good basketball player. We'll find out. Right. Six points a game in high school. I don't care if it's a, in the hardest division in high school, which it is. He's going to one of the best prep schools in the whole country, and he plays often too. So it's not like he's like being stashed on the bench. I would imagine six points a game. That's not good enough to me. He's not like his father was averaging thirty points a game in high school, right? I mean, he's not anywhere close to his father. And the fact that he's talking about going to a top school, he better develop because, I mean, he's going to get into the NBA. Dwayne Wade's son's not because LeBron is the great, second greatest basketball player ever to play the game. Uh, so he, he's going to have the spark to get into the NBA, and LeBron will make sure that he gets into the NBA because LeBron has already said that wherever his son goes, he's going to play at least one season with that team. So... If you want LeBron James, you got to draft Bronny. So maybe the Knicks will be stupid enough to do that. That's what I'm thinking. The NBA just might rig the lottery for that kind of thing to happen. Hopefully the Knicks smarten up. And we'll we'll see in three years if that's the case. Maybe if it's smartening up or not. But who knows? The the Knicks, if they want LeBron, if they're ready for that kind of thing, which who knows if they will be. I doubt it. 
<laughs> well, RJ looks like a player. I mean, yeah, there's so many other factors with the NBA now. You could have nice young players and still have guys that are disgruntled at the same time. I mean, I, I don't know what RJ got tonight. Uh, um, I don't know what he averaged tonight, but I know he was at 19 going into the second. Yeah, he's half. played well. I just it's one for it's tough for a, a two year trajectory, and the NBA is so fluky where relationships can be tarnished within a. A, less than a year. Like yeah, but they're not even there. winning and RJ's playing well. You know what I mean? That's what sucks. Uh-huh. He averaged 30 points again today. 30, 37 and 6. Wow. I mean, that's a good – that's 40, 40 minutes. That's that's a highly profile game for RJ. Uh, it's a shame that they're not winning when he's doing this. I mean, uh, he needs help. Uh, it's, uh, I know he's, he's definitely gotten better. I mean, last yeah. year – Last year, I think he was averaging... He was in the 17s. 17s? Per game. He's averaging 18 now. I mean, you want to see that from a player like this. Yeah, the only thing he's regressed in is three-point percentage, but I, I think he's probably made more total shots this year. With 35%. Yeah, with the way, yeah he, was, he was close to 40 last year, but he, he, the volume shooting is definitely a lot better when he gets the chance. Now, when he gets the chance, another question, too. But even so... His like, numbers are pretty... I mean, his, his points have gotten better... His rebounds have gotten better, and his assists are right there where he usually gets, 2.8. Career is 2.7. So he's getting better. I mean, and he's only 21. He's going to be 22 this year. I mean. So the point the point I'm trying to get at is, is NBA relationships are so fragile that you'll just never know who's going to want to play with I who at see, any given time. I could see RJ a 20, 25, and 10, uh, 25 and 9 player. That's what I think RJ is, 25, 9, and 4. You know, that's maybe you know if he if he hits his really top ceiling, he's a twenty nine point player. He could be, you know, he could be if he's the number one guy. Uh, and a lot of people believe that RJ is going to be a number one player on this team, but they need to add. They need to bring in spice. They need to bring in players that can help them win. I mean, Randall is not the guy. Nope. All right, we we've pretty much. Know that for a fact. I don't. I don't know any Nick fan could sit here and tell me that Julius Randle is a good player because he's not. I no, mean, Julius Randle's biggest defender is he who left the show. Yes, Tyler. Yes, yes, who who loves him absolutely would you know do other things to him if he actually met him. <laughs> Anyways, that's it for our show. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, until tomorrow. Oh, oh, wait a second. I want to. I want to thank uh, Zoe Yeoman for joining us. She was wonderful. Uh, check her out. Uh, Go to the uh, OG, uh, what is it? Uh, OG Etiquette Expert. Expert.com. And uh, check out uh, Ryan Mueller, who who is awesome, too. He was fantastic, too, for, for both our guests. Thank you for joining us. All the fans that listen to us, stay tuned, uh, as always. And we'll be good night and talk to you tomorrow. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network.